And welcome to our inaugural episode, and let me make sure I say this right, it's Cancelled Comics Calvacast. That is a mouthful. It's Joe Crawford here today with Ed Moore. Howdy. And joining us later is going to be Kirk Spencer, our good friend from the DC Comics Everything Else podcast, as well as our other shows that we do with Chris and Jack. But what we're going to be talking about today, Ed, is canceled comics. So when I think of canceled comics, I think, you know, not just like Marvel's, you know, stopping this for Moon Knight to come back in a couple of years. This is comics that continuity has been canceled, whether it's the publisher's gone, the universe is gone. Uh, this version, like with Valiant of the universe, is gone. This line of Star Wars or Aliens is gone because it's moved on to another publisher. And in this example, we're going to be covering today, these are characters that are kind of in limbo for the most part. So we're going to be looking at the Justice Machine and specifically Justice Machine Annual Number 1, as well as the Comico, or is it Comico? Uh, M-E-E is my understanding for the phonetic, so it would be Kamiko. Okay, so Kamiko's Justice Machine uh, first miniseries that they did featuring the Elementals. So that's what we're going to be covering today. So we're going to be talking about some, basically three properties that really are kind of in limbo these days, and that's Justice Machine, the Thunder Agents. Uh, Last I remember, they were... IDW, I believe, and I don't know if they've done anything with them recently. Mm, Not very recently, no. Yeah, I know they were doing some reprints. I can't remember if they did a... a, I know DC did a Nick Spencer series, and then um, they went to IDW, and I don't remember anything other than reprints. But um, And the last thing is the Elementals, which is another, you know, one of those properties that's not really doing anything these days. So what was the first time you experienced uh, Justice Machine, Ed? Justice Machine? Probably it would have to be this miniseries that we're looking at today. Yes. With the Elementals. Me. Yeah, because I was I was I, I got into the Elementals a little after anything that would resemble a beginning. So um, I was in a situation where in order to like read them all, which I'm I'm kind of like Pokemon in, in that <laughs> in that means you know got got to read them all right um so at some point you know i went back to get what i didn't have and that's where i would have seen oh well wonder who this justice machine is that the elementals are in their book and so yeah that would have been my first taste of justice machine yeah i remember i used to get the kamiko um robotech issues and seeing the justice machine ads in there so i probably heard them a good 10 or 11 years before i actually got around to reading any uh, Elementals, I remember picking up the Fathom miniseries, funnily enough, the first off before I had read anything else with the Elementals. So you were a fa- I know you're a fan of them now. So you've been a fan of the Elementals from pretty early on or? Yeah, probably since uh, about halfway through, I guess, their first volume, like 12 or 13, somewhere like that. Yeah, and they've, they've had a couple of volumes and then uh, I know they were doing like lots of like kind of one offs, two offs and, you know. Yeah, specials. other than the other than the like the mini series that were um, character specific, mm-hmm. they're at the very end. The 
at that time current owner of the property was trying to to uh, uh, juice up excitement in them because they had waned enough that the original creator had sold them and right um so the new owner was trying to to get it going again and so they started throwing out all of these mini series that's um how the war was won and revenge of the vampires right. and a couple sex specials you know all those things that when you when you look at a listing of the elemental books you know in in like the real early 90s there's like this big boom right and then basically that's what it was it was just a boom cuz after those they, he just quit uh, and uh just backing up real quick do you know who owns the elementals now uh i can find it for you i know well, um it's he, he goes by the name rev right and it's the same dude that owns young blood right which, right okay yeah that whole thing was in the news not too too long ago because liefeld had brought it up or somebody had brought it up and so that story kind of got out there I didn't realize necessarily that he owned Elementals until I, I was looking into him a little bit, and I thought yeah. I found out, wow, both the Elementals and Youngblood, and you're not doing anything with either of those. That's, How did he stumble into Youngblood? That's the one that I, I do. You know that story? No, I, I okay. have not heard okay. Liefeld tell that story. Just that's, that it occurred. Yeah, that's the one that I always throws me. Is like, how did he give up the rights to them? Because I know he still has profit and glory, and you know all the offshoots. So I, right. I think it's so strange that he lost them. Because he was doing, um, gosh, was it Chad Bauer? I think was writing the series, and I thought it was pretty decent. They the mini at Image, and then boom, it's just gone. And right. Then the next yeah. thing I know, he bought them. I and I I think what I have kind of heard and and kind of pieced together was that it, it was a um. Uh, and, and I need an investor. So I, I went out and got an investor kind of thing and then things didn't go the way that it was planned. And so to, to like placate the investment, I think that is ultimately what happened to the property. Hmm. Pick the wrong investor. Yeah. 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 I think it was that kind of thing rather than just a, you know, Hey Rob, I'll I'll pay you for this. And you know, it was a, I think maybe there was a little bit more legal in it that, that, Ultimately, is what Rob had to do just to get out from under everything, right? Well, and, but now shame. that's that's just an impression. Like I said, I I, I listen to Rob's podcast and right. um, just real surface. It's come up a couple times, but that <laughs> which anybody that listens to his show will understand my reference. Uh, that is one of the few stories he hasn't told. Right, most definitely. Yeah, I mean. So, that- as you much know, he, as I enjoy the podcast, he, he doesn't shy away from much. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's delved into that at all that I remember. Right. Which yeah. yeah. Which everything else, you're like, mm, there must be something in there that he just doesn't want to mess with, so he just stays away from that one. Right. Well, I'm going to shoot through some histories. We'll try to keep it as breezy as possible. It looks like the Justice Machine debuted in Noble Comics, Justice Machine number one. This is back in June 1981, and it was uh, created by writer-penciler Michael Gustavich with the first issue penciled. uh, Actually had a cover by John Byrne. And uh, as me and Ed were talking about earlier, this was actually in the magazine format. And so the first, did you say three issues? Yes, sir, the first three. Yeah, the first three actually came out in magazine size. There was only five total from Noble, and then it switched over to Texas Comics. And actually, in the issue, it's kind of funny. In the annual, they've got a little, you know, one-page thing about a Noble farewell, and it's, you know, Gustavich saying, like, you know, it was great having Noble, and then right under it's like, 
Texas Comics Incorporated, Hello Texas. Yeah. It's kind of like, and even the book itself has Texas in the corner, you know, where the typical Marvel or DC logo would be. But down at the bottom, um, you know, where there might be a UPC code or something, it says Noble. So it's, you know, kind of a changing of the guard. Even in the Indicia, I think, um, it says Texas Comics in association with uh, Mike Gustavich at Noble Comics. So, you know. And and I wasn't wasn't Gustavich Noble Comics. I mean, wasn't that like yeah, he, it was so him. That's yep. that's that's why it's everywhere because it's like, well, if he is there, then I guess he's saying, well, you know, Noble is there too. Is right. So yeah, anyway. apparently Noble was Gustavich and his wife. Yay! It's Kirk Spencer. Okay. Hey, hey. hey, glad to have you, Kirk. I'm glad somebody <laughs> likes me. <laughs> So Texas was an independent comics company set up in 83, and it was uh, set up by some uh, Texas comic book fans who had worked together before on a magazine called, or fanzine rather, called Comics Informer. Uh, they decided to license the Justice Machine from Mike and from uh, the previous publisher, Noble. And basically they operated out of the offices of the retailer Camelot Comics. So it made me think of kind of like, if I'm not mistaken, initially Dark Horse Comics kind of like was working out of things from another world. So kind of like the that sort of thing there. Because I know things from another world and Dark Horse has always had a really tight-knit relationship. Um so Texas Comics was going to try to do a bi-monthly Justice Machine series, and there's kind of an ad in the back of this one, you know, a nice little house ad, that they're going to alternate between Elementals and Justice Machine, uh, but alas, this was not going to come to fruition. Uh, this is going to have a big crossover with the Thunder Agents, as I mentioned, and their uh, team that was originally published by Tower Comics. They were started in the 60s. They were an arm of the United Nations, and they were notable for their depiction of heroes as everyday people. And um, their careers were kind of their everyday job. So it wasn't like uh, Lois and Clark, where uh, Clark was, you know, in disguise as a newspaper reporter. Dynamo was a superhero because that's what he was being paid to do. So that was kind of a, unusual for that time period. And they first appeared in 1965. And does anybody know what thunder stands for? It's one of those really weird acronyms from the sixties. No, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Okay. So it's the higher United Nations defense enforcement reserves. Um, so I don't, I think it's kind of lazy anytime you use the as part of an acronym, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be the Hunter Agents. I and I, yeah. Think, <laughs> I think it may have had more than one definition. I think they may okay. have adjusted it later. Kind of like so, Shield. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I may be, I may be remembering that wrong, but I want to say that they adjusted it to try to make it make more sense. Right. But it still, to me, was a fail. Right. I mean, I, I loved the characters and I loved the concepts, but the whole, this is what Thunder stands for. I was like, no, you're yeah. stretching there, buddy. <laughs> so Texas, of course, folded after one issue of this, and uh, they ended up going to Kamiko. And this was an American publisher headquartered in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Uh, like I mentioned, one of the big ones for me as a kid was Robotech. That was, I think, one of the few ones I was getting for quite a long time. Another really big one. Uh, probably my first 
indie comic other than Boris the Bear that wasn't a licensed book was Grindel and uh Grindel, Mage, Johnny Quest, those were some of the big ones that were were published by Kamiko. They went into bankruptcy in nineteen ninety, but actually, you know, kinda kept struggling on until about nineteen eighty seven or excuse me, nineteen ninety seven. Um, but back to the annual, this led to a miniseries, Justice Machine, featuring the Elementals from 1986, and this was done by Bill Willingham, who created the Elementals, and the artist Gustavich, and this was, like I said, published by Kamiko. Uh, we would later have an ongoing Justice Machine series that lasted almost 30 issues till 1989, and that was by Tony Isabella and Gustavich as well. After that, innovation took over. And I always think I loved about innovation is they kind of almost, if you're not paying attention when you're digging through uh, quarter bins, I wish we had quarter bins these days. All I ever oh, see yeah, dollar no bins. Doubt. But, you know, digging through dollar bins, I'll say. Innovation, when uh, Maze Agency or someplace, something else like uh, Justice Machine switched over to Kamiko, the trade dress is similar enough that sometimes I'm not paying attention I'll be thinking I'm grabbing a Kamiko book, but it's actually one of the innovation ones because um, they had a very similar kind of stripe logo across the, the top of the books. But uh, anyway, they took over uh, 1989, and that was Mark Ellis and uh, Daryl Banks. And then after that, we have Justice Machine at Millennium Publications. This was a fourth volume, and they updated the versions of the characters Ellis purchased the rights from Gustavich in 1991, and this would be the last new appearance of the Justice Machine for over 20 years. Uh, the only other thing I was able to find was there was a Justice Machine graphic novel that was published by Blue Water Productions in June 2014, and as far as I can tell, that's digital only. I couldn't find any evidence of anything physical, but I could be wrong. Um, I've, I've never seen a physical of it either. I knew I, I knew it was out there. I didn't right. even know necessarily how to get a hold of it, but I know I've never seen a, a physical copy of it anywhere. Yeah, I, th- I think you can get it like through Comixology or Amazon, and that's about it. And like I say, it's just digital. So it's currently owned by uh, George Sarantopoulos, publisher of It's Astounding. And um, does anybody know what It's Astounding is? I have no idea. No, no. I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. I, I always I read it and I was like, oh, is that it's alive? And I'm like, no, that's the guy who does like Airboy. Uh, yeah. Well, when, um, when you first said it's astounding, that was the first thing that popped right, in my head. And I was right. Like, no, wait, that's the other guy. <laughs> right, right. But um, so then we got the elementals. And I'll talk about them for a minute. Uh, they were a dark superhero group. And it was four characters, and they were all tied into you know, different elements, fire, water, earth, and uh, air. And Bill Willingham created them, and they were, I guess, kind of, you know, tied into being a very violent comic and a very sexual comic when a lot of that wasn't necessarily the most common thing in superhero comics. Um, They stayed at Kamiko, and like Ed and I were saying, they had uh, a couple of series, and they just had a ton of one-shots, including... The uh, tie-in specials, the sex specials, and, you know, it kind of seemed like the the sex issues kind of became the big thing almost to the end of the run. Um, I'm not sure. Sh- I think there was maybe four of those. So Yeah, yeah, I think four. And if I, I, I flipped through a couple of those, and it seemed like as it, 
it started not necessarily innocuous, but they did get more explicit as the series went on. Right. But um, so let's talk about the Justice Machines team history just a little bit. So the idea is they came from Jorwell, which, of course, is based on George Orwell. And the idea of like 1984, they're an elite law enforcement agency and they're on a parallel world. Apparently, in the blue water uh mythos, if you will, that actually turns out that it was like an alternate Earth. Had you ever heard that? No. Yeah, so that's what, you know, that's where it eventually goes, apparently. So anyway, they uh, get transported to Earth, and they kind of bring, you know, their their dystopian fascist ways to Earth. And that's what uh, happens before, I guess, this issue that we're going to get into starts. Uh, so the main people are Challenger. He's the leader. Is he gay? Just out of curiosity. I think the lead, so. Okay. The leader I, of the Justice Machine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he, I know he and the Diviner were married at one point. Well, but there is that scene where he's looking over at, uh, is it Demon? Demon? Yeah. Talking about not being able to have something you want or something along those lines? That's how I took it, too. Okay. So I didn't know if I was just reading into that or not. But, yeah, I knew about the, you know, it's possible the, the Diviner um, was his ex-wife. But, you know, well, you can have gay characters who've been married. So I, I didn't think that necessarily meant anything. That, I was just That curious. was the only thing I remembered about right, his right. Personal, personal life was that they emphasized that he's like a 40-something-year-old man and his teammate is his ex-wife. Right, right. Well, and and that was said several times, but this this one little throwaway was like just one little scene right. near the end of the issue, and it it kind of caught me by surprise because I didn't remember that. But I didn't either. I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that you could really misread what they're trying to say. So. I don't think so either. But I just thought that he was like, man, that was very different for a book from 1980s. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I no wasn't doubt. expecting it at all. You know, good for them. So, okay, so we got Challenger. He's kind of like their techno guy. Um, he's almost good. His outfit almost reminds me of like the 70s version of Blade, where he's got like yes. kind of like the goggles. <laughs> and, yes, and, yes and, exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's kind of what he's like. Uh, then we've got Blazer. Uh, she was the daughter of Lightwave, uh, who was in an earlier vision of the Justice Machine. I don't know where this fits in. I, I did, did, the Justice Machine's history is very confusing to me. And the fact that um, I haven't read the first few issues, but it sounds like it doesn't matter that this kind of just throws it in in a different direction anyway. I think they've been all over the place. Um, but I don't know. So she has, uh, powers, you know, kind of like, uh, fire powers. Then there's Titan. He's a mutant. He's able to increase to a height of up to 30 feet. Demon is like, I don't know exactly how to describe him. It's almost like he's like a combination of, or a cross between Karate Kid and, um, uh, Timberwolf. Yeah, but he's like he's got some kind of speed thing as well, where he's like super fast because that'll come into play when when we deal with lightning as well. There's something about him that he's he he can't believe there's somebody faster than him, but he's like kind of like you know the the perfect fighter basically. I guess is the gist of it is if I understood it right. 
um, the diviner. She is uh, basically got telepathic and paranormal senses. Uh, talisman. He he's like a dick, basically. Pardon yeah. my, lang- pardon yeah, my right. language. Well, but I, well, <laughs> to, to, to put an even finer point, he's a lucky dick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, so that's, <laughs> Better to be lucky than good. I yeah, guess. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, he gets he gets cornered. Things go bad. Nothing bad happens to him. He's fine, but something bad. Like if you try to attack him, something's going to happen to you. And you know, even though he's the biggest jerk in the world, is he? Is you know, I'm not as big, well versed on the mutant stuff. But would you say his powers are similar to Domino's? I was thinking Domino, uh, Domino Black, Black Cat, Cat kind of well, thing. Yeah, Black Cat was kind of giving them, so I guess Domino would be would be. Yeah. Cool. Or yeah. Uh, what was the uh, um, Shamrock? Was that the Marvel hero that they threw in in the first contest of heroes? Right, right. Yeah, where they had all the different. Uh, yeah, heroes the girls from different. Green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's kind of your background of the Justice Machine, as best as I understood. Like I said, part of the problem with Justice Machine, there's a lot of different continuities, and the continuity we're going to be looking at, I feel like they kind of just throw us in there and just kind of sink or swim, which is fine. I'm I, I'm one of those people that I don't mind picking up a comic because that's what I did as a kid. I didn't start with, you know, Hulk number one. I started with Hulk 200 and something. I started with right. X-Men 169, so... A little bit of swimming never hurt me, but anyway. So elementals, uh, these are four people that are unrelated, and they died the same day of accidents. Uh, they are Morningstar, which is Jeanette Crane. She is going to have uh, fire abilities, which is pyrokinesis and immunity to fire. We've got Vortex, Jeffrey Murphy. He is a uh, Coast Guard pilot, and basically he handles things that are air-related, so he can do wind blasts and he can fly. Fathom. Not only did she die, she also apparently turned green. She has uh, webbed fingers and green skin. She can turn into water, which is going to be important later on in our story. And she can actually manipulate water as well. And then we've got Monolith. I'm not even, I'm going to butcher his real name. Tommy. Tommy Zucra. Zucra. Okay. So basically he was killed in a landslide and came back and he's basically like a golem. And he's super strong and, you know, he's earth powers. So the last thing I really want to get into is uh, the Thunder Agents, just real quick, because uh, they are important in this story as well. And that's Dynamo. Uh, that's Leonard Brown. He wears a Thunderbelt, which makes him super strong for up to half an hour. If it goes past that time, it starts to really hurt his body. Think of Power Man. I mean, Hour Man, if he was able to push through it a little bit. Uh or maybe if you know anime at all, kind of like uh, uh, from My Hero Academia, uh, All Might, where like okay. he can keep going, but it starts to really tear his body up if he keeps going too far. Um, then you've got No Man. <laughs> How many No Man bodies do they have for Pete's sake? And who's paying for these things? So <laughs> he, he he can transfer his consciousness, and I swear he does it like three or four times in the issue alone. And uh, I'm sure those bodies are not cheap. Uh, Lightning, which is, uh, you know, basically he's like Flash or Wizard. And then Raven uh, wears a rocket pack and has like really weird little feathers on the side of his head. And I don't know. I just don't know a whole lot about Thunder Agents there. It's I've read um, 
the uh, what was the name of the publisher that did them? It was the ones where they they basically were publishing them, and I don't. This could be an episode in and of itself, and I don't think they necessarily had the rights nailed down for them. George Perez worked on them. Was he, it Lodestone? It was the people who did that code name Danger. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. And like um, Giffen worked on them. Just a ton of like great artists and writers worked on these, but I don't think they ever completely had the rights to the characters if i understood the story right right yeah but um if you ever run across those uh uh for a decent price those are those are good comics idw Um, did a a little series with them recently and phil hester was involved and i really enjoyed that okay of the characters too edward ed and i were just talking about that and i couldn't remember if idw did anything other than reprints so they actually did new issues they, as they well. did a new series okay i want to say like eight issues maybe okay. um but i i really enjoyed it i wished it had run longer you know most okay. of the most of these cult characters that you love they just don't they just can't seem to catch on and last yeah nick spencer when he was doing like Jimmy Olsen at DC and maybe even it might've even been when he was doing morning glories, did a little short run of thunder agents at um, DC that I had a few issues of, and I liked it a lot, but I don't know, man, there's been a lot of miles between the time I read those. And I, I probably forgot as much as I remember. <laughs> I haven't read any. I've picked up a few out of the dollar boxes and I was hoping I would build the run since it was so short. Right. And then read it. And right. I I think I'm about halfway there. Yeah. Well, I'm getting, you know, I used to be pretty good about staying on top of my reading and I have found myself getting further and further behind. Um, so I went from having like, you know, just a handful of a stack to, I I got almost three short boxes to to get read and I'm lucky. I'm lucky if I can get a couple of comics in a day. So I do the best I can. I'm going to be right with you soon. So, all right, we're done talking about the history. Let's dive into this. This is Justice Machine Annual. It says an echo of thunder. You've got Raven, No Man, Lightning, and Dynamo punching some Flash Gordon-looking Nazis on the cover. But it's a wraparound, and if you get to the back, you've got the Elementals on the back. Introducing the Elementals. The one interesting thing, I think, for a Justice Machine annual, there is no Justice Machine on the cover at all. Right, yeah. So this was a two ninety five cover price, and for 1983, that's a no from Mom Crawford. She, you know, she would not have bought me this one. Um, no, there's kinda, no way I would have gotten that. Yeah, it's pretty pricey. Uh, it, here we go. Right, open, right off the bat, you open it up, and uh, there's an ad for... The Thunder Agents number two. Uh, it says JC Comics. I have no idea what the J and the C stand for, but it says it's got art by Gil Kane and Wally Wood. So you know that's going to be good stuff. Okay, now I want to say maybe that's John Carbonaro. Oh, okay. I'm I've, I'm sitting here with uh, Lone Star Comics open on my on my computer, and they have one issue for JCP. Okay. So I wonder if this second issue ever came out. Oh, or changed publisher, maybe? Could be, because next was, well, no, I'm sorry, uh, a magazine, and then there is a volume that is just two issues from okay. JC. Well, actually, the JCP was a magazine. Okay. 
JC had two issues. I don't know if those are two different publishers or not. Yeah. Well, I know in this era there was also um, the Blue Ribbon series from Archie, and they actually did one of these era Thunder Agents issues in it. There was only one of them. But, I mean, Thunder Agents were just wow. all over the place. Yeah. I mean, maybe they hit like six or seven publishers in a, you know, in a three or four year span, you know, in those well, early I 80s. Think, I think the JC was coming out around the time of those Lodestone, and maybe that right. was part of, I think one public, the publishers were arguing over who actually had the rights. Right. And Archie's like, well, heck, we'll do an issue too. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, the most that they'll do is just tell you to quit. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, so yeah. Uh, so, I gotta okay. look some of this up now. <laughs> Joe's sending me down a rabbit hole. Oh, I know. I, I do that to myself all the time. That's it. That's how I end up with all the, ended up with all those weird black and white comics last time I was at the mall. You know, it's like, ooh, let me see. You know, cause typically I'd, there'd be a lot of that stuff I would have just skipped, but I'm just like, well, let's look at the weird stuff today. And then when I started only looking at the weird stuff, that's when I came home with like the mother load, you know. Right. Yeah, for for folks really into Thunder Agents, probably the Thunder Agents Companion from Tomorrow's would be nice. the best way to track all this. It came out in two thousand five, so it would have a lot of that older stuff in it. Yeah, I think it, 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 I've forgotten. Like I say, the, the, as much as I've read, you know, it was nice when when you're a kid. I swear, songs from like nineteen eighty nine, I can do verbatim, right? Yeah, word by word. You give me a song that I've listened to 25 times in the last week, and I can do maybe the chorus if I'm lucky. You yep. know, just the adult brain does not retain stuff. I'm, but, I'm right there with you. But I was going to say the um, American Comic Book Chronicles did a really good write up about uh, the Thunder Agents uh, entanglement, if you will, uh, in the 1980s volume, because that's okay. the little bit that I do remember. That's where that came from. So that's that's just a great series anyway. Yes, that's a very good series of books. And now that you mention that, I've read the 80s and I think I've read the 90s yeah. in that series. Yeah, I, I've read 80s, 90s, and I want to say the 70s. And, and um, all three of them were just fabulous. I can't wait till they get to the 2000s. Which is supposed to come out uh, next year, 2022. Awesome. The second half of the 40s, I think it is, the okay. 45 to 49, and the two whatever they're going to do in the 2000s. I don't know how far they're going to go, but both the of those. To the tens, maybe. Next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's – that's a, it, I'm, I'm sure if you if you know anything about me at all, and I know Kirk knows this, that's, that's one of those eras, the, especially for me, until around 2008, I wasn't getting much at all. So a lot of that stuff is discovery for me at this point. So I always enjoy that stuff. But all right, let's dive in. Bill Loeb script, Bill Reinhold pencils and colors, Jeff D. inks for part of it, B. Anderson inks for part of it, G. Ward letters, and K. and W. colors. So Bill Reinhold and whoever K. and W. is did colors. So we've got uh, three people diving. Echo of Thunder, and they come up, and they're in some kind of facility, and they are there to rescue a fellow named Marsden. They quickly take out some Nazis, steal their outfits, and these look very much like the kind of Nazi outfits you would have seen in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, yes. would, have, which would attract, you know, with this being 83. Uh, they arrive on a torture scene. There's a fellow, Von Geist. He's 
beating the holy heck out of this poor Marsden fellow, and Iron Maiden is just standing there watching. Uh, the Nazis are coming in, clearly booted, by the way. And then two seconds later, uh, Iron Maiden says, well, I know that they're not really our troopers because they have our wet feet, but if you look at the panel up above it, they're clearly booted. Oh, well. Anyway, that won't be the first time there's an error in the artwork. So R3 basically getting a shootout with the Nazis. Uh, Iron Maiden, as she will do, makes her escape. Von Geist makes his escape. They free Marsden. This robot named Hector Four comes flying out of nowhere. And the three of them and Marsden are on their way. Then we flash to some kind of facility. And there's a fellow named Mr. Dash. And he's kind of a, almost a comedic kind of character. But he's basically the guy who's at this time in charge of this facility that the Justice Machine appeared to be working for. And like I've said, it's not really clear how they got here. Um, I don't know that the issues leading up to this really seem to have explained it. But anyway, Titan's walking around carrying something all of the thing. And Mr. Dash is complaining because he doesn't know what the heck is going on. So Titan goes into this room where Diviner is being worked on by this doctor. We find out he used to be a Nazi. And they get into this uh, interesting conversation because the gist of it to me was, well, can I be forgiven for what I did because I did it when I was young? So this is obviously a fellow who had worked for the Nazis during the war and had done some things that probably were not, you know, on the, the best up and up kind of thing. And and basically Titan kind of all but blows it off saying, you know, you know, you were young, yada, yada. What are you going to do for diviner? Um, So then we get into dash. He's meeting with, I've already forgotten what her name was, but he basically wants to get the Thunder Agents and the Justice Machine to figure out what's going on. So we have him on the horn trying to get a hold of the the Thunder Agents. They're giving him the runaround. And they will not take his call. Uh, the Justice Machine is kind of sitting around. It's Demon and Blazer and Talisman, and they just think it's really funny that uh, their boss isn't able to really get anything going. So he's going to send them to New York and they're going to track down the Thunder agents. So they go in and check on Marsden. He's not doing so great. And Marsden lets them know that there is a arms meeting that's coming. And, uh, you know, kind of like, oh, arm meeting, you know? Yeah. Very, very sickly <laughs> broken. I'm on the edge of death, but I must speak kind of. Yeah. Right. So that's the last we see of Mr. Dash for a little bit. Of, and, uh, then we are back to our Nazi compadres. Uh, Von Geist is, uh, demonstrating a super soldier that he has developed and, uh, Iron Maiden, is quite impressed. Apparently he's developed 30 of these super soldiers. Uh, you know, bullets don't affect him. He can smash rocks, that sort of thing. So, next we're at the UN. Thunder Agents, Dynamo, and No Man are talking to their boss. Do you know this fellow at all? No. Okay, I didn't know him either. So I didn't know if it was like a recurring character or what. But uh, basically... 
they want to know what's going on with the Nazis and they are going to find out what is going on with the Nazis. And uh, the fellow uh, Dynamo is kind of having a heart to heart with the boss and, you know, kind of getting an earful. No man is in his, I guess he can basically go, uh, I don't know what the word I want to use is, think invisible woman. He can't be seen. So he sees a fella go into a room and he's like, yeah, this guy's not supposed to be in here. So I'm going to take care of it. And the guy can actually see him somehow and sense him. So he must be one of these super soldiers. So he gets in a fight with the no man and, of course, quickly kills that body. No man transfers his conscious to another body. He goes back to the scene with a huge laser gun and there's a huge hole in the floor. The guy's gone and... This is the first time we discovered that uh, these super Nazis explode and we're not really told why, but there's no trace of him left. There's and like I say, there's a huge hole in the floor. So I guess he got what he came for and exploded, which I don't know. That seems counterintuitive. He was if he was there to like uh, find information, blowing up isn't the best way to report back what you found out. Right. I I wouldn't think so unless he did something like sent the information electronically somehow maybe or something and then yeah because of we've we've been taught on tv you know if if there's no body there's no crime oh there you go that's that's why the body explodes uh boom exactly (laughs) so so demon and challenger are kind of like spying these um and I guess I guess these are supposed to be Nazis. We're not. I don't know if these are Nazis or the people we think were doing the arms deal because they're not clearly dressed like Nazis like the people from earlier. Regardless, they're not on the up and up. Demon comes in. He does his shtick. He's taken out guy after guy. Challenger gets thrown into a wall, and it turns out that Lightning is there, and he takes out both Challenger and Demon because you can't have two superhero teams. Meet up without, you know, getting into a fracas. Without a fight. That's right. Yeah. They've got a fight. Yeah. Right. Uh, Blazer, meanwhile, has been sitting outside of the Thunder Agent's office for forever. And she finally gets in. And the fellow from earlier is not even there. It's actually Noman. And uh, they start talking about movies. And they're getting all chummy. And they're both movie fans. Apparently, she was really aggravated because she waited so long she missed the screening of The Seven Samurai. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. And two hours wouldn't even be long enough to watch The Seven Samurai, if I'm no. not mistaken. In the blockbuster days, that was a double tape, so that means it was at least three hours. Yep. Um. Anyhow, so these Flash Gordon-looking Nazis bust in uh, on the Thunder Agents headquarters. Noman goes down for the count again, so we're on body... I need to do a tally here. So this is going to be body number three. Blazer lights up and she uh, chases off the Nazis. The new Noman comes in. And uh, once again, we've got Nazis that explode and leave a big hole in the ground. Talisman's out on patrol on a wharf of all places. And uh, that's weird how they were like in downtown Manhattan and all of a sudden they're out on a wharf, but whatever. And he happens into a room, uh, in kind of like a, I don't, I don't know what you would call this, just like some kind of like building that's on the, off the, the pier. And, uh, he recognizes Raven, the, the, one of the Thunder agents. And of course, when he, uh, 
checks in on Raven, one of the Nazis busts in, and he runs off. But the Nazis follow him because they don't realize that if they try to attack him, boom, they end up hitting each other. So the minute they try to uh, attack Talisman, they end up punching each other out. But then a whole ton of them come after him. And I'm sure his luck would have held up regardless. But Dynamo happened to be on the scene. And he presses his uh, belt. He gets his superpower. And he goes in and he cleans up house. So they find Raven. He is knocked out. And then we switch once again back to uh, where Challenger, Demon, and Lightning are. So a lot of this, we're going to be going back and forth between these three groups. So you're going to have the... This group, you're going to have the one with Noman and Blazer, and you're going to have the group with uh, Dynamo and Talisman. So anyway, Lightning, Challenger, Demon. Demon's knocked out from Lightning earlier, but he was faking it. And uh, while Lightning is avoiding the shots from Challenger's guns, Kapow, uh, Demon kicks him, knocks him out. So, and uh, speaking of female Thunder agents, there is apparently at least someone who's female who works for the Thunder agents. I don't know who she is. She's a blonde, nondescript lady. She comes in and says that there is a siege going on at the UN. So we go back. There, uh, there are more of the Nazis. Even though we had already left Blazer and Noman once, they apparently have come back and they're fighting. And Blazer finds out they can't be wounded. They don't get tired. They're impervious to her fire. And Noman's basically just a dude who apparently gets killed really easily and can shoot a gun and go invisible. I don't know what else he does. But um, he, he's all but useless in this fight. Uh, she burns a hole in the floor and that momentarily gets them out of the fight because it makes them go down the floor. So now we're back. Titan's been knocked out. We find another one of these guys who was working with the Thunder Agents. His name is Weed. He's tied up. Titan uh, was dropped with uh, it says a shot of dope big enough to KO an elephant. So I guess they like drugged him. The Nazis did. And uh, Weed's telling them what's going on. Dynamo sees this huge uh, circle pattern on the floor and uh, talisman recognizes him recognizes it it's a george george jorwellian dimensional lock and um so this is you know once again tying into the fact uh the justice league aren't home our justice league justice machine aren't home and uh they're going to use this to travel and so dynamo is going to go by himself and talisman's like no way i got to go to take care of you and weed's like dudes couldn't you have at least untied me? And, of course, they didn't. So, <laughs> he's still tied up. Titan's knocked out. I'll come back for you, Marion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tal <laughs> Talisman and Dynamo get sent off back to the UN headquarters. Uh, luckily, the Jor... I cannot say that word. Jorwellian uh, dimensional lock is uh, tied into the where the Thunder Agents are located. So... We got two of the groups together now. So Talisman, Blazer, Noman, Dynamo, they're all together at the Thunder Agent headquarters. Fine guys shows up. He's got Iron Maiden. They've brought in even more of these super Nazis. Now, now their their location is like the UN building, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that what yeah. they are? Okay, yeah. Like yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, this is this is all going at the going on at the United Nations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, she just burned a huge floor uh, hole in the floor at the United Nations and dropped a you know. Oh, just all of this stuff. You you got this one panel here that looks like the uh the Nakatomi Plaza here with the helicopter right. down in the fountain and holes in the building. It's like this is the UN, but right, nobody right. is like responding to all of this crazy at the at the UN building. So okay, yeah, no no spoilers, but that is one thing I really loved about the new Spider Man. There's a scene where he not he trashes a bunch of um power lines. And, uh, like I say, no huge spoiler, but he's like, well, I better fix these real quick so that I don't get blamed for that too. And it literally shows Spider-Man webbing together the power lines back. I was like, wouldn't that be cool if it actually had some superheroes that would actually fix the damage they made in a fight? Yeah, they, they try to repair what they caused. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was really cute in the movie. But anyway, yeah, this is, this place is trash. So they're in a fight. They go for Talisman because of course they punch out each other. Then as she's uh going in to help, Blazer shoots past Talisman. I don't know if his bad juju like rubs off on her or what, but she gets knocked out. And of course she's on full flame mode when she gets knocked out and she burns a hole in the floor. We're going back to Weed and uh where Titan is. He's able to get loose. So Weed is loose. We'll come back to him. Back to Blazer uh flaming off. Dynamo's starting to like lose a little bit of his, his steam, kind of like I was telling you with All Might or, or Our Man. He he's starting to wear down, but he's not quite there yet. He's like, okay, I got a few minutes before this belt completely knocks out on me, and I'm going to be useless. But it, in come the the cavalry. It's a uh, challenger and demon. They're going to swing in through the giant hole in the ceiling and save the day. Back to weed. He has stumbled across the Nazi headquarters. He conks a guy in the head, and he starts fiddling with these controls. Uh, Demon runs into Talisman, and, of course, that gives him bad luck, and he almost gets knocked out. Challenger, Lightning, everybody's just fighting and trying to do the best the best they can to take over the odds, but it's not working. Lightning is made pretty quick uh, work of from one of these Nazis. Dynamo's... Uh, basically done at this point he's getting conked out and von geist is all excited you know now he's gonna literally he says this now to crucify them against the un building and proclaim my victory to the world so he's gonna nail their bodies to the side of the building um so yeah but iron maiden's not having that turns out that uh, after Nuremberg, there's a warrant out for his arrest, and there's a lot more money that she can actually make turning him in than uh, going along with his plans. So she is going to take him in, and he's like, no, you're not. But all of a sudden, the Nazis start exploding. It turns out Weed, when he was fiddling with those buttons, came across the self-destruct button. So I guess earlier when we would see these giant holes in the floor, there was somebody who would say, okay, this spot's too hot. Rather than try to extract, you know, our super Nazi, he would just explode them. So Iron Maiden shoots at Von Geist. Von Geist shoots at her. She gets hurt. He gets away. And um, you have the nice scene of Dynamo, who I'm assuming must have some kind of crush on her because he says, oh, Rusty, and he holds her hand after she's been shot. Um, then we have, like, the kind of classic scene 
they're cleaning up. All the different characters are getting to talk to each other. And um, we're just winding up the story. And then we get to the point that we were talking about. Um, Lightning says, uh, sorry about the misunderstanding. This metabolic acceleration makes me crazy sometimes. Challenger says, skip it. Fortunately, Kitten interrupted. Are you two an item? And he says, not anymore. She wouldn't take watching this suit eat me alive, but you wouldn't understand. That's one thing I actually did remember about lightning, but I forgot till I just reread that is, uh, the more he uses his power, the more it hurts him. So eventually he's kind of like spawn was initially, uh, he uses the power too much. It's going to kill him. But, um, he says, you never loved anyone who was burning themselves out. And then challenger looks back to demon who, as we know, is addicted to a drug, uh, and he says, well, maybe I have. So that's where I was wondering if maybe they had some kind of a relationship that uh, didn't get delved into in this issue. But um, last thing, we go back to the end of the story, and we see the – what was the name of that thing again? It was called a Hector unit. Yeah, the little robot that looks like a reject from Black Hole is laying on the ground. Somebody had de- oh, deactivated it. Oh. Deep cut, <laughs> black hole movie. Okay. Yeah, I had the model of that as a kid. What was his name? Vincent, I think. Yeah, Hector, it was basically... Hector Four is this one. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's the fourth model. Yeah, uh, but the, the I think the black hole character was Vincent. He was basically right. like a big circle with a head that would pop out. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was there uh, two of them or three? There of was them? two of them. There was one who was in good shape and one that was kind of beat up. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But um, and it turns out that maybe the villain all along was Marsden because he turned off the Hector unit and dum de dum I can't get no satisfaction. Watch for the all new Justice Machine Volume Two Number One Intruder, which never did come out in October, for better or for worse. So I'm gonna take a breather. You guys give me some thoughts while I rest my voice for a second. Okay, the uh this reference the the next thing that the Justice Machine would have appeared in is the miniseries we're going to talk about next, right? Right. So, I mean, it, we, whatever this story was, wasn't even continued in the next appearance of the Justice Machine. No, they're not even on Earth in the next Justice Machine. It, yeah, you're right. They're they're back, back, I guess, on Jorwell. Right. Um, so, now, I say that, though, I know that when this miniseries came out, that the Elementals ongoing was coming out. Was the Justice Machine ongoing coming out as well at the same time? That was the desire, but it didn't happen. Okay. So the, the so they didn't come out until later, right after this miniseries. Okay. Yeah, the idea was that they were going to kind of do one month Justice Machine, one month Elementals, and they were going to swap back and forth for Texas Comics, and so that they had you know a book a month on the stands at all times. Right. But you know it just didn't happen. Yeah. So, um, I this and and I I couldn't explain why uh but there is a or well i couldn't explain why it reminds me of the reference i'm going to throw out um there's a small press miniseries by roy and dan thompson uh, uh thomas that is set in world war ii that uses a group of characters kind of like i don't know what he was doing on all-star squadron perhaps or something like that sure this Visually, this story beats. The, everything about the story reminds me of that. Gotcha. Um, 
I can't I can't for the life of me remember. Does that sound familiar to either one of you guys? That's not small that's not press. Never... Roy and Dan Thompson, um, World War Two group of heroes. That was that alter ego. Um, I I don't know if that was the name of the the book or not. Okay, could it have it... been Anthem through Heroic? Anthem, yes, that was it. Okay. No, I haven't read that one. But yeah, that, that's kind of what this felt like with Nazis and heroes, and right. pl- plus, really, what puts me in mind honestly is the uh, is the artwork. That's that's really what, and and I know that, um, or I don't know, I don't know if this Bill Reinhold or Jeff D. I don't know if they were involved in Anthem or not. Uh, it's good, good call, Kirk. I hadn't thought about that book in a long time. <laughs> it's it's that was good. Just a shot in the dark. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's one of those. It's good, solid indie superhero art. Uh, it gets a little workmanlike in the the backgrounds and the buildings. It's pretty much everything is a grid floor. Right, uh, yeah, the design work on the actual locales is a, is a little lacking, but you know, I think the characters look really good. I think all things considered, it's it's a well put together comic. And they um, all look different. I mean, whenever yeah, you see do. them, you can tell them apart. Yeah, you no you know who's who. Yeah. Um. Now, obviously, Bill Willingham's really going to shine in his section oh, of the book. Yeah. Because that, yeah. He, sadly, there's they these guys have got nothing on him because uh, once we hit his stuff, it just looks great. Yeah. It's it's a very a very different, uh, almost a uh, an advertising I think kind of art in comparison. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And so let's jump into that. We've got a, let's see, maybe not quite a full issue. I don't know. No, actually, it's awfully close to what a full issue of a comic would be. It's a 20-pager. It's the Elementals created by Bill Willingham in 1983. The story is called The Shape of Things to Come. He did script and pencils. Bill Anderson uh, is back working. He did inks and colors. Keith Wilson did letters and colors. I don't understand how two people did colors, but whatever. Michael Wolf is editor, and J.R. Riley is the publisher. So, we're on an island somewhere with Shapeshifter, and she's reporting to a man that there's an energy reading that had been discovered, and it's supernatural in origin, and uh, it's coming from this place, Mercer Island. And basically, then we get into the actual story. So Mercer Island is where the elementals are at. And she's going to do a little intro of the different ones. I kind of went over it in the history, so I'll just really quickly say we've basically got Morningstar. Just remember, she's fire. We've got Vortex. Remember, he is air. Monolith, which is Tommy. He is earth. And Fathom, which is water. So she's telling this fella uh, about the situation, and basically he needs to know what's going on with them. And she's like, well, I've gone already and tested these people. And he and he's like, I really didn't want you to do that. But she's like, I had to do it so that I could see what we're dealing with. So we go to a kitchen. We see Fathom and... I don't know. Some guy looks like an old Bill Murray or something. I don't know who this fellow's supposed to be. He looks like Oberon. Come on. <laughs> oh, he did. there you go. He's a, like a very tall Oberon. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he's, he's Oberon from JLI days. Yeah. There you go. So um, he's talking to Fathom, 
And uh, he's like, what have you guys done in my kitchen? So obviously everybody is just kind of hanging out at this guy's house. And Vortex is going off on, uh, I don't know, like his daily flight or what have you. And Tommy's like, oh, I guess you really like it out there. And he's like, yeah, I sure do. So Vortex is off flying around. And then storm clouds are gathering. We find out later that they're, apparently the storm is actually Fathom's doing. But... uh out of this cloud comes this giant snake dragon looking thing and uh vortex could be in some trouble now and uh they hear the doorbell ring which is weird cuz he, he kind of lives there but whatever uh they open the door fathom sees vortex he is a hot mess he's bleeding from his mouth uh his eye is all cut up he's just not looking so great so he passes out so they're like, what happened? And he obviously can't answer because he's conked out on the ground. So they run off into this storm and Morningstar and Fathom. And there's, a, is that a blue tiger? I'm not always great with colors. Yeah, ice, ice, ice blue. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a blue tiger that jumps out and, uh, Fathom shoots it with a, a wave of water. And the slow, nice, really well done transformation yeah. uh, from the tiger into the shapeshifter. And then she gets all elongated man on him, or on her rather, and um, wraps up Fathom. Same color outfit for a little while, too. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, now that I think about that, it's like, isn't that the same colors Dibney wore there for a little it, it, while? It, it, it is, like uh, the JLE era. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And uh, then we see some uh, fire being shot past her. Morningstar is uh, shooting at her, and Shapeshifter grows wings, shoots off. She pulls a talisman on the two of them. Uh, water runs into <laughs> heat and basically evaporates. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, Morningstar is convinced that she just killed Fathom. And honestly, I wasn't quite sure for a second either, except I'd read the Fathom miniseries as a young adult, and I knew that she wasn't dead, but whatever. Um, anyway, so she flew away. Looks like Morningstar's down. We think Fathom could be dead. And um, we see a giant mitt come out and kind of grab at her. And then we see a taxi, and you're like, what was that? I don't know. That's my house. So whoever that owns the house has just showed up in a cab. And the next scene is two giant monoliths fighting each other. One is, I don't know, reminds me of something. What was the name of that? Inhu was it Inhumanoid? One of them almost looks like an Inhumanoid kind of monster. It's got like a big tail and like a rocky uh, horns coming out of its head. But monolith. Almost um, maybe another kind of dragon. Yeah, yeah, it, like a rock dragon, and yeah, uh, an earth, an earth dragon, where she was an air dragon earlier. Yep. Okay. There you go. Like she's almost using their powers uh, against them in her right, as a yeah. shapeshifter. Yeah. Uh, Monolith flings her, but she comes back, back to elongated man form, and with a big giant kind of mallet, and knocks him into the water, and uh, you know, rock hits water, rock sinks. Um, turns out Fathom can reincorporate herself from steam. So it took a lot out of her, but she's back. Then a uh, shapeshifter starts doing a really weird transformation. I, I don't know what's going on. Some kind of almost, almost to another kind of dragon. 
Yeah, it's almost like a demon dragon kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you could each of those you could say that she's doing some dragon something kind of creature, which right. I, I didn't notice until now. As you're talking, I'm looking at the panels and I'm like, well, that's another, well, that's another dragon, it's, or it could be. You know, you could interpret it that way. Right. And um, Morningstar has uh, set her aflame right as she's transforming. And uh, Shapeshifter's like, okay, you finally actually hurt me this time. I'm out of here. And when I see you next, you're dead. Uh, the fella who owns the house shows up and said, what's going on? Good Lord, Becky. And so I'm wondering if, like, is this her? I think this is supposed to be her dad. I guess he didn't know that she was green and had water powers. Or if he, and honestly, since they were supposed to all be dead, maybe he still thought she was dead at this point. Um, I, I think if you go here to the beginning uh, mm-hmm. of this this little story, um, I didn't tell your father anything except to get out, get on the next flight out here. When okay. he arrives, you can tell him you are not dead. That's what the little <laughs> uh, Oberon dude is telling her okay. at, when they're having their breakfast cereal discussion. All right. So, you know, you can tell him you're not dead. And I guess that's a way to to tell him is I'm green with webbed fingers and uh, I'm not dead. Yeah, it's better that, you know, I'm I'm better than not dead because now I'm green and have webbed fingers. Yeah. And so we close up the story. The mysterious fellow is talking to Shapeshifter and uh, he tells her to summon the rest of the team and we're going to eliminate the elementals. So, Flash, Elementals get their own book. First issue on sale in October. Yeah, that didn't happen. Don't dare miss Death Duel with the Destroyers. You know what a nasty temper Morningstar has. Um, well, I guess we kind of know. We've only seen her for a couple of pages, but I'll take, uh, I'll take Bill's word for it. So, that was our issue of Justice Machine Annual. That was definitely $2.95 worth of story. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read anything. This is almost like getting a mini graphic novel. There's so much in it. It's, I don't know if, if 1983 it's $3, but it's definitely three bucks these days easy. Oh, easy. Well, Plus, I mean, this is a bargain, but yeah, this is the very first appearance of the elementals. So, I mean, right. that, you know, that's like first time anybody's ever seen them. Now, if you're, you know, maybe a little longer in the tooth, you know, Thunder Agents. So you right. would recognize them here in the first part. Um, maybe not even Justice Machine because they weren't brand new, but they were pretty short-lived and kind of off the beaten track at this point. So could be somebody that picked this up, was introduced to Justice Machine and Elementals both at right. the same time for only two ninety five in this big, thick book. So, I mean, yeah, this this would have had to have been a killer book at the time. Now, when did you pick up your copy, Ed? Of this annual? Mm-hmm. Uh, this annual, th- this particular one I've had for a while. Okay. I I got mine maybe six, seven years ago. What about you, Kirk? I got mine years ago during a half-price sale at uh, from Heroes Online, Heroes Con organizers. What are, what's their store name? Heroes aren't hard to find. Right. Okay. They had, yep. they had a half-price box of books. And for years, I would see that book as a wall book. It was usually around $10, maybe sometimes up to 20 at the peak of the elementals interest. And I always wanted it. It looked amazing. Here's Michael Golden drawing superheroes punching Nazis and stuff. And I was like, I need that. But I, that was more than I could spend on 
a book that was still relatively new. I, you know, if I spent that much, it was going to be on a 50s DC war book. So right. I think I think I picked mine up for like five or six dollars on the half price sale. Yeah, I, I think that's thrilled to get was. it. So before we dive into the Comico books, the one thing I just want to say, I don't I didn't know if you guys were going to talk about it at all. One of my favorite things in it has nothing to do with the comic, but it's the Mike editorials at the beginning. Gustavich keeps promising that Bill Willingham is going to write the next editorial. So you read the editorial, you go to read the issue, you get right. to the next issue, you read the editorial, it's still um, Mike writing it. So you're like, okay, maybe it'll be Bill in the next one. Issue three, it's still Mike. Issue four, final issue of the series, it's still Mike. I don't know, that just really tickled me. Because he kept going, oh, I promise you Bill's going to write the next one. He never did. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was intentional. You know, that was the plan the whole time or... Oh, yeah. Could have been. Or was he really hoping that Willingham was going to write the editorial the next time? And Bill's like, nah, I ain't doing that. (laughs) I don't know. I think Mike did a bang-up job on him, but I just thought it was funny how it was kind of like a running gag that uh, Bill never did get around to doing it. But um, thanks, guys, for letting me talk about that one. Uh, We're going to start diving into the Comico miniseries now, uh, Justice Machine featuring the Elementals. So who's got issue one? I've got issue one, and I've got a question for you fellas. Okay. Do you know if this was the first issue Kamiko distributed to newsstands? I'm pretty sure it was my first Kamiko book off the newsstands, but I didn't know if that was their debut on newsstands. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either, but I would I would have to think not. Because they started out as direct sales only. Right. And then at one point they obtained a contract and were getting newsstand distribution. And it thrilled me because I didn't have access to a LCS at the time. And I was worried about missing Johnny Quest. And I picked up Justice Machine because it just interested me. I didn't have any familiarity with either team. But uh, I really so, enjoyed it. So you picked this up in 1986 on a newsstand? Yes. That I is awesome. This, I bought this new. I think I bought it at our local bookstore slash magazine store slash video rental store, Lowell's. Okay. So okay. anybody in Albany, Georgia area in the 80s would know Lowell's. Yeah, my my initial Kamikos uh, would have been from, I believe, Walden Books in the Macon Mall. And they were just on the spinner rack. Right. Yeah. So I know by the time I was getting uh, what was what was the third one? Is it new generation? Uh, Robotech, I think uh, I know by the time I was getting them, they, they were on the spinner. So. Inside, they have their Kamiko blimp ad. And, you know, looking at the covers of these books, there are six different books. None of them have UPCs on them. Well, you're right. Which in my mind would mean that those were direct only that they weren't newsstand. Because hmm. well, isn't, isn't that one of the ways that you can tell if it has a UPC, it was a it was a, a newsstand version typically, isn't that? I, I think so. I mean, that's something I would normally look for. Um, but I know that Johnny Quest, if I'm looking at the same, is it the hype page inside the issue? 
Yeah, yeah, up yeah. I know, top. I know that. I know I got Johnny Quest on the newsstand, and I know I got the Justice Machine on the newsstand. I don't know if they were distributing their entire line. Like, I don't know if Mage was ever on the newsstand because I don't right. remember ever seeing Mage until years later when I started picking it up as back issues because I had fallen in love with the Christine Spar Grendel and yes. wanted to know more about Hunter Rose Grendel. Right. Yeah, my first Grendel was, uh, yeah, what was the name of the brothers who worked on it? The Pander Brothers. Yeah, it was the Pander Brothers uh, Grendel. It was not um, stuff drawn by uh, Matt Wagner. So, yeah, those were my first ones. You know, there's so, a there's a Kamiko group on Facebook. I'll I'll pose that question to them and see if, uh, if anybody responds. Because there's several of these uh, old-timer creators that are part of that group as well. Awesome. And, so, and one thing, so one I'd thing I think is of that. interest on the hype page, we're on Elementals 8. So obviously they were successful in bringing back um, Elementals much sooner than they were the Justice Machine. Right. Right. And and you, you've you got the both the first and second issues of this mini that we're holding in our hand right. advertised at the same time as that – issue of elementals uh, right. issue eight so you know i don't know were they just advertising for everything that could be out there or does this mean that you know i, I don't know exactly i don't i don't soon after this is when i started buying elementals at a right. at a comic shop that i had access to but i don't i was of of course <clears throat> way young <clears throat> and uh so I, memory kind of doesn't work too well Right. <laughs> I I can relate to that. <laughs> I think we all can. <laughs> I, I remember flipping, the big pictures, but yeah, the specifics are just, yeah. <laughs> flipping back through this issue, I see a, a full-page ad for Mage, and it says it's a 15-issue limited series, and they're advertising number 13, so maybe that's why I don't remember it on the newsstands. It wouldn't have made a lot of sense to sure to send it out to the newsstands right at the end of the series. Yeah. If you're ready, you're the ready. Justice Machine featuring the Elementals, number one, cover dated May 1986. And as Joe touched on, we open with an editorial from artist Justice Machine creator Mike Gustavich, or as I used to say, Gustavich, which I have no idea what's correct. He offers some biographical information on past Justice Machine contributors and tells us this story takes place before the original Justice Machine series and suggests that he made a few changes. So maybe that's why they are kind of hard to follow. You try to follow from series to series and promises that Willingham will write the next editorial. <laughs> and, story, and Justice Machine is Gustavich's baby, right? That's, that's right. his creation. Right. Justice Machine was Gustavich and Elementals is Willingham. Willingham. Okay. Yep. The story opens on some armed men setting up a defensive position. One man reassures the other that this is probably unnecessary, as the threat won't reach them, considering the firepower outside. As if on cue, the wall collapses and the justice machine attack the troops. The justice machine makes quick work of the defenses and makes their way into the complex. We switch to a large armored being and a smaller being who looks like a troll or an elf or something to me. The large man tells the troll to hide from the justice machine and remember the plan. 
The justice machine advanced on the now alone armored being and attacked. He proves to be a challenge to the machine, though the justice machine eventually triumphs and take him prisoner. Justice machines celebrate their victory with some time off, except for Talisman, who has made some mistakes during the attack, and Challenger tells him he's going to go back for more, more training. Six weeks pass, and the troll emerges from his stasis chamber of hiding. He announces it is time to begin the plan. We switch to Earth, where we find the elementals. They begin to disappear one by one from Earth and reappear on Giorwell, named after George Orwell. Get it? Get it? <laughs> I remember Don Thompson of the CBG making a big deal about that. And as a kid, I was like, okay, so? Yeah. <laughs> who, who is George Orwell? Why is that a big deal? I yeah, I didn't get it. The troll <laughs> tells the elementals they are needed to free his armored compatriot to fight the Giorwell police state. They agree to the mission and attack the complex where the prisoner is held. We close as the justice machine discovers the elementals and tells them they are under arrest. One thing I want to point out. One thing I want to point out. I think it's page 13. uh, And I I, I tweeted this when I was initially reading it. That challenger looks so much like Lee Majors. It, it, It really throws me. Like if uh, Lee Majors was dressed like Blade, that's what you're right. Yeah, and that's Charles Bronson standing next to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. When I saw that, I was like, but that's Charles Bronson next to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want, and they don't really look like that to me in other parts of the book. So. No, no. But that, like you say, looks like Lee Majors and Charles Bronson teaming up to kick some butt. Right. Which in 1983 would have been pretty kicking. Oh yeah, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> to be honest. So. Well, that, well, when was Fall Guy on? I mean, that was that was yeah, like, that was probably around 83. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was as big as ever in that one. All right. So for the second issue, cover dated June 1986, we get another editorial by Mike Gustavich. He tells us more about the members of the Justice Machine, and the story begins on a one-page piece telling us a little bit about the history of the planet Jorwell. We then get a nice double-page spread with Justice Machine facing off against the Elementals. And as an art collector, I would love to have that Ooh, page. Yeah. We get a roster of the team as they face off. Justice Machine consists of Blazer, Titan, Talisman, Demon, Diviner, and their leader, Challenger. The Elementals are Fathom, Monolith, Vortex, and Morningstar. Teams do battle, Showcasing each character's powers, Talisman manages to seal the team off from the, each team off from the other, and the story switches to where the prisoner is being held. They're attempting to remove the armor from the prisoner and failing. Meanwhile, the Elementals discover Monolith is injured, transforms back to his human form of the child Tommy to prevent any further injury. He briefly switches back to Earth and learns that no one seems to know where the Elementals have disappeared to. Back on Giorwell, the Justice Machine is being ordered to find the Elementals and stop them before they reach the generators. Uh-oh, too late. The power is cut. The prisoner manages to free himself and steal the most vital secrets protected on this police state of Giorwell. He takes off as the Justice Machine begins to again battle the Elementals. The Justice Machine manages to gain the upper hand while the now-free armored man meets back up with the troll. They declare that the mission is success, 
and plan a world invasion. Close with a letters page with a letter from T.M. Maple and writer Ron Fortier. Yeah, I noticed the Ron Fortier. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I knew who he was when I got that comic in, what was it, 1986. Oh, I doubt it, yeah. But now I'm like, oh, cool, Ron's got a letter in here. Well, I remember Ron because of Now Comics, and this is way before Now Comics. I I want to say he did some work with Eternity, which is probably where I first discovered. Okay. But I, okay. I couldn't I couldn't tell you what books and if I'm even remembering that correctly. Yeah. Oh, Ron's still working these days. He does a lot of like uh, pulp characters and uh, that sort yeah, of but thing. I think he's behind the Airship Twenty Seven. Yep. Pulp character books. Yep. So two things I want to comment on in this one. Um. First off, I just want to, you know, the armored guy, what a great design. I just think he's very striking visually. Uh, good job, uh, Mike did on that one. And, um, yes. secondly, I love Fathom as an almost Iceman type character, which I never think of her this way, but the way she's portrayed in this, I mean, she's like riding the wave. Um, there's no water, and it's almost like she, I don't know if she's drawing up moisture and creating waves from it or what, but I really like the way they have her in this one. It's very cool. Well, in reading an interview with Willingham and one of these other fanzines, he basically says that Fathom is, is actually the most powerful because of essentially she's the water power and Earth is, you know, majority water. So. Right. I thought that was pretty cool because you would think that the the Rocky guy is going to be your powerhouse. Right. Well, it's almost like Fantastic Four when you get – and I don't know that Lee and Kirby intended it, but it has become such where the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four by far is Sue. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. because she's the hottest, right? Oh, well, right. that too. But, um, you know, the, with the fact that she can control, you know, the force field bubbles and everything, she ultimately has become the strongest member of the, uh, other than maybe Reed's brain of the Fantastic Four. So, yeah, I, I like it. I really I really enjoyed uh, the, getting to see her in action. That was cool. All righty. Taking a look at uh, issue three here next. A uh, couple things to point out real quick. All four covers of these issues are gatefold covers right uh, for those of you that may not know that word if, if you open the book up the front cover and the back cover make one picture when you open that book and, and hold it out so um and also uh joe for you the cover of issue three has a full page cover of image of dark force the uh, the armored bad guy right so there he is it, He's kind of only there's only two colors, which is kind of well, okay. But yeah. I, I I do like the the setup of the armor and everything, but the coloring of just two colors it doesn't doesn't, doesn't pop, pop enough as much. Yeah, or or something I don't know. Maybe yeah. the colors are too dark, or because I, I you you don't want to do some kind of you know sixties hippie flower color thing <laughs> all over his. You know that that's not what you're after, but right. Yeah, it, it just. It, I guess because it's it's muted, um, being printed on the the newsprint paper, the the colors just look they're they're different tones. Well, yeah, maybe 
Maybe if they gone it slightly instead of just the exact colors they did do, because it's almost Kang, but not quite. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe if 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 the instead of like a straight blue, if it had been something a little more vivid, it would have popped a little better. Yeah. But yeah, the the design. I mean, it's a full body. The head and face are covered. Yeah. Uh, the gauntlets and boots are look like a, a different piece than what the armor body it is. And there's a cod piece, and there's these almost fins coming off front towards the front off the shoulders. There's a collar. Yeah. You got a mohawk going studs. too. There's yeah. metal studs on the legs and on the. You can't see on this cover, but aren't they on the arms too? Uh, I thought so. Yeah, there's definitely some on the gauntlets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so flipping it up here, the inside cover we have an editorial by Mike Gustavich, not Bill Willingham, as we are <laughs> continually promised and continue to be promised in this one itself as well. He, he's He's swearing that Bill will get one of these in, and as far as we know, yeah, it tells us at the top here that this is only four issues. So we're right. we're looking at three. There's only one more shot to get to get Bill in there. Um, the space is taken by highlighting each of the other creatives involved in the miniseries. Uh, the person that jumps out to me is Diana Schutz. 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 I, I say Schutz, so that okay. means it's probably wrong. Well, that's what it, how it's spelled in my mind anyway. So it looks like to uh, me. Yeah. The the other names, except for Gustavich himself, I, I don't really recognize, but I, I do recognize Diana. The story itself, um, this is cover dated July 1986. So um, after the events of the second issue, whereby the bad guy in escaping, cutting the power to the facility that he was being held prisoner in. Apparently to do that, he cut the power over like large portions of the, the planet or at the very least the continent that they're on. I think it extends or has extended now to the planet itself. Um, we, we have different insets here by a narrator telling us different cities and what they're going through, different aspects of the cities that are, Involved in the um, lack of power. The problem is that Jorwell was kind of on a, a razor's edge as far as uh, being held together um, societally, sociologically, politically. Um, the people, because this is a um, what is, what is this guy's a, a fascist state? Yeah, um, not totalitarian. No, it, it was. The idea is it's that, a fascist, fascist. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so uh, the people are are on the razor's edge of being able to tolerate what they're how they're being made to live, and now uh, having to do without major services because of lack of power, uh, they're finally um, very, very near open revolt um, everywhere, as well as. This big bad escaping, as well as these elementals having come in. So, uh, Zarin, is that his name? I think it was Zarin. I don't see it here really quick. But the, the, the dude that has been in charge of the justice machine, I believe it was Zarin. It is Zarin, the guy with the Z on his back. Oh, yeah. Yep. Z on his back. Okay. Yeah. Good, yep. good call there. Yeah. Um, so, he, you know, he's he's barely able to main control, maintain control with all these things going on. 
Um, the second page is a two-page spread between the, the or well the yeah the second story page, and it's a really cool image of the four elementals, non-powered, uh, being held. Zarin standing back to us, um, interrogating them, or actually uh, more what he's doing is he's the bad guy, so he's telling them his plan. And the justice machine off to the side as they have captured the elementals. So Zarin is um, – well, actually, the next part of the story, we see background finally on the elementals themselves as Tommy is uh, bemoaning what is happening to them in comparison to what they have recently gone through. Right. Um, in their book, the first – uh, the first storyline, I think that was the first six issues, five or six issues, something like that, is you you really get to to know the characters and you get to know this bad guy that we see here hovering with big nimbus of energy coming off of each of his hands. And they do manage to defeat him, but not, uh, of course, not entirely, because being the main bad, he's he's kind of their Doctor Doom as to the Fantastic Four. And it looks like they did bring Shapeshifter back in that one panel. Yes, yes. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting. In the annuals uh, story, the the effect that Morningstar has on Shapeshifter plays out much more um, much more to the reader's benefit, to our mm-hmm. enjoyment. Uh, much later on in, I think it's the second volume. Okay. You, you get to see the, the finish essentially at another time of that scene that started, but then got interrupted. And it's kind of humorous where that scene goes ultimately. Right. But yeah, we, we, we're seeing a lot of, of background on the elementals here. Then we, we switch over and we have some input about what things are like on Jorwell and Zarin. And, and it, it's an opportunity for us to see the, the similarities and the differences in the two worlds as far as we know without, you know, spending months and months reading up on each property. Um, we see how they're alike and how they're different. We then cut to Dark Force. We see ultimately what he's doing. I, what what the plans were that he stole, why he is um, still actually draining power from the rest of Jorwell. Uh, he's in the process of making a transport device to transport his hidden uh, or, or shadow scene allies. Um, that's the agreement that he has made with some some off screen, although we, we do see images of them, but they're not necessarily having been a part of the story so far um everything that dark force is doing that that armored bad guy we've seen is to fulfill an agreement that he has with a third party but we are seeing his machinations that he's having to go through to bring that agreement to fruition um we we hear what is going to be the result of that agreement, but we, we don't necessarily have a frame of reference or anything like that. So he's, he's building a transport device. We finally cut away from the elementals for a couple pages to the justice machine. We see them training 
Uh, Challenger seems to be quite the taskmaster as he's putting all of them. He's putting all of them through their paces individually, but all at the same time. Right. He's doing something. He's directing uh, Titan to do this. He's directing, um, Div- well, yeah, Diviner to do something else. Giving orders to each of them all at the same time while he is training to um, up all of their training as well. Except for what's the lucky dude's name? <laughs> lucky Talisman. Talisman. Except for Talisman. Yeah, he's, like, yeah, he's just kind of standing there watching him shoot his gun. Yeah, yeah he, he and he keeps telling him, you. You wait right there. Hang on, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. Hang on. And and he's already given him extra time, uh, uh, workout time, when they went uh, took a break earlier. In was it in? Yeah, it was in this or was that in the annual? That was in the I think the first issue. Of this yeah. Movie. Okay. Well, well, look at it this way. Let's pretend Talisman was in the X Men Danger Room. You would not want him to get involved oh. because if his body thinks it's in danger. He's going to cause these others who are just going through their exercises to like get hurt. Right. Ca- so yeah, you're going to be like, dude, just stand aside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He should just be like in the weight room or something. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just somewhere where he has no access to anything, not even any kind of control booth or anything. Nothing. Just. I mean, the fact that his superhero outfit is literally a black suit tells you something. Right. I like yeah. that he wears white gloves too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kind of a, a a a modern dandy kind of look there. Right. He's just missing the hat. Yeah. Um. So we cut back to Zarin, and he is uh, he's browbeating the elementals. They they're, they're lined up for execution. That's what Zarin sees. He, they have attacked his um his his pond as he is the big fish in his small pond. They they've attacked it. And that's what he's going to do is he's going to kill him and get rid of him. But the justice machine have been talking, uh, taking into account some of the things the elemental said earlier, uh, but also discussing among themselves, which is given the environment that this group of individuals operates in. That's interesting that they they would even do that. Uh, but they discuss things among themselves and they come to a decision that they then present to Zarin. And that is, uh, Dark Force is still out there. We know he's up to something. We don't know where he is. We don't know what he's up to. He's not been the easiest thing for us to handle, so a little bit of help couldn't hurt. You let them go. Uh, Challenger basically takes responsibility. You know, I'll take responsibility for him. We'll get done with this mission as far as taking care of Dark Force, and then we'll, you know, handle the rest later on. And <laughs> the... the presented to the elementals it's like well do you want to be executed or or do you want to get out and help right and (laughs) not much of a choice (laughs) yeah it's like kind of a dirty dozen wow yeah it's like okay uh and and of course they take the requisite time to no they don't think about it they're like yeah we want to we're the good guys and we want to we want to fight the good fight you know no real mention made to the fact that well yeah if you just stay there a little bit longer you're going to be executed so um, we see Zarin, uh, not Zarin, we see Dark Force, uh, activate his machine and we see the, the beginnings of this invasion force, uh, that he has been in contact with. And they look just like, they look like demons from a, I don't know, a demon planet, a demon dimension. I, I don't think we ever really know where they're from. Not that it's important, but. 
Yeah, and it's almost like they're fallen angels because they have like nubs where wings would be. This is true. Yeah, and and yeah. horns. To, yeah. yeah. Um, which I didn't mention before, but in that story from the annual, I liked the wings shapeshifter formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were some really sweet looking wings compared to um, Angel from X Men's wings or Hawkman's wings. Or hers were much more uh, almost religiously iconographic. Sure, like, sure. You know, they were taken from uh, uh, stained glass windows or something and like just stuck on her body or something. But yeah, they were much more ornate. Yeah, it almost makes me think of uh, what was the fella who would form in uh, New Universe, how he had like almost those energy wings. What was Night, that? Fe- Nightman? Uh, uh, Cyforce. I yes. can't remember. Oh, yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember his name, but he would almost have like these like uh, psychic wings and they were like just really, you know, not feathery looking or anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like more energy looking. Yeah. So the invasion force um, now uh, they're coming out in numbers uh, large enough through this portal that they are being taken up in various attack ships um, and sent to various parts of the the planet. I guess Jorwell is the name of the planet, isn't it? Because the name of the city is something else. Tull is that the main city? I think I Jorwell, Jorwell is, is the planet. Is the planet? Yeah, Jorwell's yeah. the planet. Yeah. So they're they're going uh, to different locations on Jorwell to start um, taking over the the already uh, revolting peoples, which I can't imagine is going to take a whole lot of effort. Meanwhile, the Justice Machine and the Elementals have broken up into two teams. Uh, Vortex, Morningstar, Fathom, Diviner, and Demon on a team. And then Titan, Monolith, Challenger, Lucky Dick, and I'm sorry, I, I can't get that out of my head now. <laughs> um, it works. <laughs> and uh, what was the uh, – let's see, Diviner's up here. Oh, I'm sorry. Morningstar is in the second group. This first group is the – uh, fl- um, flamer. No, what's the justice machine? Fire? Blazer. Blazer. Yep. Blazers in the first group. Morning stars in the. First I had a heck of a time getting the two of them straight when I was reading through the uh, annual again last night too. So I, I, I feel you. So that we we just see them broken up on one page into the two groups, but the second yep. page really has a two panel. Uh, both groups busting through the wall attacking off screen to the right-hand side, the the opposing forces, but you really see them much more actively doing things associated with their powers uh, than you do initially when they just show that they had broken up. So I, I like that page because it's got two, two half spreads, I guess you could, you could say two, two panels, one for each team. And it really shows Vortex using his stuff too, because literally it's just a pair of hands and, you know, I always think I'd like seeing him like, you know, full flight like normal superhero, but it's really, you know, selling the like red tornado aspect of him. Right. And and you see Fathom riding, riding her wave there, yeah. too. Like she has. Yeah. it You know, and this this is not necessarily what you're supposed to do reading comics, but the physics of that really intrigues me. I'm sure. <laughs> because if well, if she is condensing water. 
to get that much water? These people around here are severely dehydrated. <laughs> You're not kidding. Uh, and then they what? got two, and they got two fire people uh, that are. Uh, but, yeah, right. Cranking crank <laughs> up the heat. Now, if she's not collecting the water, if she's creating the water, yeah, the amount of energy needed to smash molecules together to make water, where is that energy coming from, and where is the heat that that chemical reaction would be giving off? Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm a chemistry major from way back. Well, no, I, and and that's why I think it's so fascinating. I don't I don't a hundred percent get her power. So. I, yeah, and and it's easy for me to step back and say, okay, well, I can't because maybe there really isn't a way to explain what she's doing here. Right. You know, other powers or other times she does stuff. Okay, but yeah, the the whole wave riding thing. When I saw that before, I was like. Oh, the amount of energy that would take, <laughs> you know, because that would make her that would make her a matter energy manipulator, which is, as we know, being comic book fans, that's like one of the alpha or one of the omega powers that you can have. Yeah, that's molecule, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so what she just focuses it on water. Well, maybe if she just takes a second and thinks she can make a planet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No so. so, um. The, the fight ensues here with our justice machine and elementals fighting demons, wave after wave of demons and panel after panel after panel of our heroes fighting the good fight the way that they can, either with martial arts or guns or tapping elemental powers or running down a hall and tripping over a fallen <laughs> Called body. And, and I'm, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, that's that's after he causes the uh, the the floating dais that Diviner is on to, to go crazy. Right. Uh, to short circuit or whatever. You know, he falls off and trips over a bad guy. Which it, is that the start of what happens? Because ultimately, our good guys succumb to the bad guys. They're they're yeah. just overpowered. Well, and, yeah, uh, then because the uh, Titan starts tripping up right after. Yeah. yeah so I, I wonder, is he because they're they're in this hallway? There can't be a whole lot of room. Is is he like juicing them with bad juju? And that's, that's how I'm taking it. Yeah, that's what starts to happen. But that's what it looks like to me. We we start to see individual members, you know, fall panel after panel. They succumb in only ways that they can, kind of counter to whatever their powers are. Until at the end, Challenger and Morningstar and – I'm sorry, guys. What's his name? Talisman. Talisman are the only ones left standing, um, and we find – actually, we find at the beginning of the next issue that they are like – they end up getting covered up by demons. We just haven't seen that yet. So right. all the others have fallen. They get gang-tackled, and Dark Force, our armored bad guy here, states, Jorwell is mine. And we have a to be concluded. Um, his little companion also reminds me of Pip the Troll, by the way. Yeah, a little bit. You, you, That's what? probably where I was thinking. He he just looked like a troll to me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what guys called him a troll? And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that looks yeah, like that was Pip Kurt, the Troll, yeah. if, if ever there was. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm sorry for, for you listeners. A lot of my reading experience is Marvel. So a lot of stuff that I tie back to is is Marvel, even though it – May have occurred after, I, you know, if a memory is jogged by something, it's probably a character in Marvel Universe. 
Well, things taste like chicken because it's a point of reference, right? Uh, it, sorry, it's yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's my point of reference. You know, mileage yeah. may vary. Yeah, I, I, I dig it. All right, issue four. Um, again, another full um, two two panel cover here. On the front cover, we have Diviner and Morning, uh, not Diviner, Challenger and Morningstar facing off. And on the back cover, which is the second half, the left half of the, the image, we have a shadow image of the main bad guy, but a, a, a bunch of demons both clearly drawn and also in shadow that they're facing off against. And if if you could have displayed this open like this on a display, uh, these these books would have flown off the shelf, I think, because that's just a. A very evocative of what, you know, man, what is going on kind of image on the cover. I, did, did all of Kamiko's books have the gatefold, at least until at least the early ones? Because I feel like that was the thing with the Robotech and Johnny Quest, too. I, I think that is something that they tried to do as much okay. as they could. Yeah, yeah. because um, I know that uh, Grendel got into that. Right. Um, yep. Yep. My Grendel issue that I had as a kid had a gatefold too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I maybe that's what they were doing at the time to try to set themselves apart. Is right. For um, what is it? Two dollars and a quarter? No, a dollar fifty. Dollar fifty. Yep. Full and this would have been in the what sixty cent era, I think. Uh, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that seems yeah. about right. So you're talking six? Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about ninety more cents. So yeah, you gotta you gotta make yourself distinct somehow. Yeah, because well, one of these issues has an ad for Westfield, and they're saying sixty cent comics cost forty cents with us. So, yeah, okay, yeah, because I know now one the, of the, the things we've talked different. about, uh, Star Comics, those started at sixty five cents, and we have not hit the Star era yet. So no, I don't, no, not yet. Yeah. So the the paper is a little different, right? It's a little heavier yeah. bond paper yeah, for dollar fifty. Um. Not quite as, Baxter, but a little bit nicer than – it's definitely nicer than newsprint. Right, right. And yeah. and as far as I know, the the coloring process was probably the same. Um, yeah. Really uh, – right? No, Nobody really had different coloring other than like Malibu at this point? Yeah. That's, Everybody that's what I remember. Everybody doing it the same? Yep. Okay. Now, you know, I like this paper too, and then I'll shut up about oh. paper. But I like this because you do have it thicker than newsprint. But you don't have that that oversaturation that Baxter has now. Like if you hold up a Baxter book from 1984, to me the blacks now, in my eye, look way oversaturated. Okay. And, and this does not have that when you look like when it's got a big spot of lots of black or a lot of ink. It, it doesn't look oversaturated. It looks it looks fine. Having having talked about paper, I'll go ahead and throw mine out there. Uh, for me. <laughs> Nothing beats newsprint. Yeah. I, I understand the deficiencies of it, and I understand that a lot of colorists uh, were they, – they had issues that, you know, over the majority of their career until the paper got better, it the, their colors never showed up on newsprint the way they intended or wanted. Right. Uh, plus, we all know the, the uh, skin tone problems and the blue-green problems we've seen in printing and all that, but right. – the nostalgia. Okay, when you go into a comic shop, that smell is that ink on newsprint. Definitely, that is what that smell is. And to me, that is that is nostalgia. That is my 
my love perfume that that is <laughs> yes. that is the smell you know yeah no and, and I that's 100% what it is. agree that newsprint and that coloring even though uh, arguably you know both got better that is is what um when <laughs> one of the first things that i notice when i walk into a into a comic book store Plus, it tells me how long they've been around. You know, are they a newer <laughs> store? Or that do they have a lot of back issues? There's so much that you can tell as soon as you yeah. open that door, even if you had your eyes closed. Just inhale, and you're like, okay, I got this place worked out. I know what you do. Well, to this day, if if I have to pick up a version of a story, if I can have the Tales of the Legion or the Legion Baxter, I would rather have the Tales from the Legion issue. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just like anything else, you know, it's a preference and there's time and places for some things. But yeah, newsprint and the, what was news, most of newsprint? It's eight, eight color, 16 color? Yeah. Maybe 16 color ink. Yeah, those were, those were the thing. Okay, sorry guys. Um, I like tangents. They're fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm interested in every aspect of comic books. It's the only subject that I want to know everything about it. I want to know how they do every aspect, print every aspect, why they chose this paper, you know, whatever. So tangents are fun. I I agree with you. Now now that I'm I'm older and have slowed down, you know, and the uh, I, I'm I'm done with the new hotness chase. The, right. The, the the whys and the wherefores and the history and uh, way way tangent here. A thing that I've recently really gotten into are fanzines. Mm-hmm. And, and hunting up just a copy or two of old fanzines just so that I can have examples of what, you know, what that particular fanzine was like. That, that is my, my big thing that I'm into right now. All right. August 1986, issue four of our miniseries. So hopefully we're going to have a conclusion here. Uh, hopefully Mike, Willingham writes the introduction. Yeah. Come on, they, Willingham. Write that it, introduction. It, 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 Mike Gustavich wrote it though. Oh man! I know. Way to yeah. go, Willingham. I, yeah, he, but he, but you're at least going to tell us that Justice Machine is going to be written by Bill Willingham, right? Yes, yes. Now he does indicate that. So we it's it's kind of a cr- continuation of the creatives from the previous editorial uh, that we that we find out now, and we get. A little indication we we get a little bit of history here about the Justice Machine and Noble Comics, and that's that's a, this is probably the one of the duller of the four editorials actually. I, I would agree. Yeah. It's you know kind of like, well, I've got to do one more. What what haven't I I talked about? What's <laughs> he's, last? He's kind of tapped out, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. All right, so we open our story. Uh, the first three pages. The first page shows the main bad, Dark Force, the general of the invading uh, demon army, and our pseudo-pip the troll here standing on a stage with multiple screens behind them where they have been keeping track of what is going on elsewhere on Jorworld. We can see things are very dire. The the demon army is winning. Actually, one of these screens has the uh, silhouette, I guess it would be, of the leader, wherever they're at, other planet, other dimension, uh, of the demon army. So he kind of looks quite similar to his soldiers. So nothing. I, I didn't think it was like a big 
a big reveal there. We've seen him a couple times, but very much in shadowy, silhouette kind of thing. Then the next two pages are a uh, full-page spread here between the two, and we see all of our good guys down for the count, except over here in the lower left-hand corner, we have a, a pile of demon bodies, and that is, as I indicated before, that is the remnant of the... Uh, standing up heroes for Challenger, Morningstar, and the, um, Talisman. I remember that time. There you go. <laughs> uh, but we don't know that they're just covered up. But right. we we find out here in another couple uh, couple pages that that is who is under that pile of bodies. Otherwise, everybody else is knocked out, laying flat on the floor, with Dark Force uh, lording it over them, and. Uh, I don't think I have mentioned yet, but there, there is there is a coming rift between Dark Force and the General of the Demons because of the way that Dark Force treats his second in command. Um, even though the demons are all about subjugation, apparently there is a certain way that you have to subjugate people. And the way that Dark Force is subjugating his second in command is not the way you subjugate people. Uh, there's a, there's a, a better, more honorable way because the demons are big on honor. Apparently, there's an honorable way to subjugate people, which I don't know. I, I found that kind of weak. That that's what they use to uh, to to cause that that split between the two of them. But um, comes to a head here in in a couple pages. But first, we see all our heroes rally. They rally to the extent that Talisman is able to use his bad luck powers and gets – and everybody is able to – is it everybody or just these three? Just these three, I think. Let me flip on over here. Nope. Everybody except one member is able to get away. Titan is left. Titan is always left. Well, yeah. He's got a weak <laughs> jaw, I guess. You know. he, he's big in stature, but that's right. it. And and that's not an, a euphemism or a sexy way or anything like that. No. It's just you know, he he's he's a grower, and that's that's all. It's yeah. just you know, he it, tap him on the jaw, and he's out for <laughs> half a third of the book, half a book. You know, tap him or dope him, I guess. It, it's you know, he, he's <laughs> he's easy to get. The writers have decided he's easy to get rid of. You know, he's well, the biggest, but yeah. Either that or I wonder if the artists are like, I don't want to keep draw, drawing this guy to scale. Can we knock him out for a while? <laughs> not really. Can we just take him out? To, yeah. Not not that artists do that, right? They No, no, they, no. They no. draw everything. It's never a situation <laughs> of something they don't want to draw. So you don't see those characters like uh, – are you guys do – do you guys read any of the uh, current X books? I haven't been super keeping up with him. I pop in and out. Uh, Hickman. Apparently, there was a character that Hickman just did not want to deal with. Mm -hmm. So they wrote a story where he was guilty of breaking one of the the new laws for the mutants, and they just, oh, was that Sabretooth? Yeah, they just okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell in, and that's it. Yep. That's all we've yep. seen of him in two years or three years up until he's yeah. That's like in the very first couple of issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got funny. a. A mini series, I think, coming like the beginning of the year. That'll be the first time we've seen him since then. Nice. <laughs> and, and all I can figure is, yeah, Hickman must just not have wanted to. He doesn't like Sabretooth, so he's like, yeah. take him off the board. There you go. 
All right, so more demons are coming through. We see them attacking Jorwell. Our heroes, Justice Machine combined elementals minus Titan, are are struggling. You know, they're beaten. They're defeated. They just don't know what they can do because they've done this before and they've been beaten and they just got through with that. So what more can we do? We'll just get beaten again. Well, you know, everybody's got to got to pull together and rally up this is this is very much like the war comics with the with the the sergeant getting in there and pumping everybody up and you know we've got to keep going even though well you know by the end of the book we're all going to die anyway so we we just got it which they don't die not really here's one of those examples i was talking about with inconsistent artwork um and gustavich does a great job but i do have to call out vortex on the top of page 11 he is sliced and diced, and unless that is an unstable molecule outfit, it is perfectly healed in the next panel. True. True. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to ask if, if like, uh, any <laughs> any quick explanation <laughs> that you can give while, while we're interviewing you that you could, you know, yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Talisman's um, so, lucky powers fixed his uniform. There you go. There or you fa- go. Yeah, that's or maybe Fathom can manipulate uh, fabrics, you know. There you maybe go. Maybe she did it. I don't know. Yep. Energy matter manipulator. <laughs> so they um, they divide up again. One, uh, one, one last run at winning the game. Uh, we have one... Two, three, three and a half pages of really good elemental work here. Yeah. Uh, first by Vortex, then by Morningstar, then by Fathom, showing them uh, really cutting loose with their powers. Uh, Monolith is the fourth, and I mean, it, you know, it, it's not as impressive to see him cut loose with smashing demons into jelly. I mean, that you know, that's... It is it's, what it is. It's effective, but yeah. you know, it's not as visually pretty and, and awe-inspiring as water and air and flame, particularly flame. And he's getting some some aid there from Blazer. It looks like too. Right, right. he's getting yeah. some added fire to his. Yeah, yeah. squishing is not enough. So, <laughs> so uh, we see them um, turning turning the tide, as it were. Dark Force here gets kind of concerned and sends his demons back out to find them and squash them once and for all. And this is where he mistreats his second-in-command one too many times. We don't see it right away, but we will see here that that this this couple-panel scene is the straw. Well, actually, the um, the general here kind of confronts him, but just verbally for the time being about how Dark Force treats his second-in-command. Meanwhile, we now have a panel where the Justice Machine is pulling together as a group and attacking and starting to turn things over. They, The group's divided into two separate missions. The Elemental's mission was distraction. Uh, The Justice Machine's mission was the actual mission, and that was to attempt to destroy the teleport machine that is allowing all of these demons to continually come into Jorwell. Uh, the idea being, if you cut off the source, then all you have to worry about is just taking care of what's here. There won't be reinforcements. So uh, that's that's what they're attempting to do. They're attempting to make the control room where this uh, teleportation rig is. Uh, 
in the same room they find Titan. Oh, that's why Titan didn't revive and escape with everybody else, because this writer of the story needed a plant right. to help the story succeed. And his plant, his MacGuffin, was Titan. When they get to the control room, Titan, who was left there previously, you thought, now is useful because he comes to and is able to lend power to what they're attempting to do, even though in many ways he's the weakest of the group. And you don't have to worry about him having made his way all the way back because right. he's already there. He never so left. He, <laughs> right, yeah, he, he can't fail because he's already <laughs> pretty much there. So so he and Demon uh, go about destroying the teleportation ring. Um, well, actually, Titan does um, – has broken the – the bomb device that they were going to use and right. asks Titan to smash it with his, his fist O bomb. And, and that's <laughs> what he does is he beats the, the crud out of the control device and the ring itself and destroys it. Meanwhile, the general of the demons has set some of his demon army on dark force, kind of uh, taking care of him, which is kind of a, uh, an awe kind of thing to me is kind of a letdown of the 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 type of evil that he had been throughout the series that there is no there's no retribution right there's no there's no i know good guys don't do this but there's there's no revenge they, right. they don't get him back it it's yeah it's taken out of their hands by somebody else so i thought that was um we see that dark force is not what we thought he was uh, at all it, it, no no a completely different individual completely different i think gender i think we were led to believe that it was a um this, this is a pretty big spoiler for you guys that are listening so if you don't want to hear this just don't turn us off just put your finger in your ear for a minute all right um it turns out to be the troll's daughter who did not like the way he did things she wanted to do things on her own, her own way, the way she thought they should be done. So she built this armor, built this persona. She was in training to be a member of Justice Machine, but t t turned evil, I guess, is, is basically what you're what you're meant to believe or turned turned more fascist or less fascist or I'm, I'm I'm not exactly sure I understand. I mean, Jorwell right. is fascist. Right. But and and she wanted to take over, but we really don't know if that would have been better conceivably or worse. You know, right. you, you want to think since she was defeated by the good guys it would have been worse. Yeah. But, and and at this point the the machine is definitely in the part of their uh storyline where they are are, are completely Jorwellian. They are they're they're behind the government. They're not in opposition. So. Right. Yeah. 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 So it, because something was assaulting the government, it's right. their job to oppose that. So yeah. Um, it, it it's interesting to consider though. You know, would would you have been better off if Dark Force had been? Yeah. It's it's hard to say. Um. So now we have a bunch of uh. You know talking heads here as we sum things up what's going on and, and things are getting better. And uh, a lot of the talking is done by uh, justice. Well, 
Justice Machine and uh, Justice Machine, Challenger and Morningstar right. uh, are are the opposing groups, and and it's they're the representatives for the viewpoints as as we go through the story, uh, the the ending of the story here rather. Finally, the elementals are transported back. Uh, the Justice Machine initially didn't think they would be able to do it, but they they found another transportation device that, well, we we can send you somewhere. Um, and, and we have a group of somewheres that it might be, and we know that your somewhere is in there. Your planet is one of those, but we don't know which one it is, so we can't send you specifically to that one. So in steps Talisman with his bad luck, I guess, I'm, yeah, I, with his luck powers, and he sets the coordinates randomly, so to speak, and it does turn out that the elementals are transported back to their Earth, which actually is our Earth. Uh, right. The elementals have always been meant to be a very uh, contemporary and contemporaneous uh, hero group. They they are us. And so. Right. You got that nice little crisis looking uh, image of like Earth's overlapping. It, are, is it red? <laughs> red skies, yeah. Well, yeah, it is a little kind of red there. Yeah, yeah so, a little magenta yeah. or something. Going yeah, on, yeah. They're, they're trying. <laughs> they can't use red because that'd be obvious. But yeah. Yeah, you're right. Crisis. Crisis of Kamiko. And uh, so let's see. We have. Uh, I saw something that. Oh, this Robotech ad for the subscription. That's that's a really cool looking picture with those three characters. Oh, yeah. From Robot. Uh, I think that's from Robotech Masters. Yeah. Masters. Yeah. 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 Kamiko is putting out three books. It looks like for Robotech at this time. Yeah. So. And so ends the first, uh, I say, question mark, appearance of the Elementals, well, actually, and the Justice Machine uh, for Kamiko. Right. Yeah, I I really think it's super interesting because you really got me thinking about the whole aspect of basically they're working for this this horrible government. It's almost like when you have a team up of somebody like Judge Dredd and Batman that I don't know that they actually should work, but somehow they do. Right. They're they're because they should be opposing. You have to come up with something bad enough that is bad as far as both viewpoints. Right. Because because otherwise their point of view of the world is so opposite that it shouldn't work but you know gustavich and willingham do make it work right yeah Yeah. what what take take the fact that dark force uh would be the individual benefiting right what what the his assistant tells the elementals and convinces them is 100 percent true as far as jorwell is concerned we just don't know that dark force we assume that dark force would not be the better option right but there needs to be a better option because of the situation on Jorwell that the justice machine supports. So as, as a critical reader, were you bummed that it was basically a little kid inside of a suit or were you okay with that? No, that was, that was kind of a wah, wah kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it was a little wah, wah. <laughs> at, at the time. And now as an adult, I would, I would think that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Because it it was it would be something very different from what you normally see. But right. 
as a young, enthusiastic devourer of comics, well, that's not what it always is. It's always the bad guy or that he's disfigured or, you know, something. Right. And you you went with this little girl. Why? How, how am I how am I going to believe that some little girl did that? With, with a perfect little Kirby face in the first panel, you know, uh, you, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I, I was reading, I was like, boy, that was not was that what I was expecting at all. Yeah, you're uh, expecting like, uh, what was it? Uh, was it Gremlin in the old Hulk issue, you know, or something like that inside a inside of a yes, a suit of armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, you you I you I, you you I can't pretend that way. I can I can only. I can only uh, turn off my disbelief for so long. Right. You know, and then it's like a little girl. No, that that would never be. Yeah. I think it would have been better. And I'm not trying to second guess him. Maybe if she wasn't in such a perfect little earth outfit with pigtails. Yeah. Um, You know. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe she looked a little bit more like her Pip the Troll dad. Um, That would have been beneficial. But she literally looks like she got pulled from a Kirby comic. And an issue of Fantastic Four, you know, she looks like a little kid that the thing would have saved or something. Um, LCD? Is that the little robot from Wolverine? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Or or how about if it had been the little troll dude's wife and all of this was down to some (laughs) domestic spat between husband and wife? That would have been great. Yeah, that's all it is. worked better. Well, in some ways, yeah. That, that would explain why she was giving him the the shift the whole time. <laughs> no doubt, man. It's like, oh, okay. You you guys acting like a married couple or something. What's yeah, up with that? Yeah, that? That would have been perfect. They are. So, yeah. So, Kirk, what did you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was a kid. Sure. Looking back, I was like, well, this art's a little rough right here. The story, I can see this coming. But I still really enjoyed it. The thing that fascinates me is you have two successful creator-owned indie comic properties right. that neither creator now owns. Yeah, that's the that's the bummer. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't own Justice Machine, does he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 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 a disappointing thing, I think. But I mean, that was a lot more common back then for people not to hang on to their properties, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I hope they did well because I always wish the creators do well, they have success, and but especially in the last couple of years where like you know the major publishers put everything on pause, right? So a lot of superstars went to Kickstarter. What what could have been now if they still had those and said, "Hey guys, there's a wave of nostalgia. Our back issues are selling oh, again. Yes, yeah. let's have something new on Kickstarter." There, there's so many of these these superhero groups that were out in that era, like Liberty Project and DN Agents and X Mutants, and I just really wish there was some way that uh, they could see the light of day again. Whether it's in a, some kind of collected edition or even just a digital edition, so that you could get it on Comixology if that's the way, it, just so that it was available out there. It would be right. nice. There's just so many of them that are, I don't know, maybe just gone to time. But uh, that's what this show's for. Hopefully we're going to get to talk about all that stuff. I'd love to do DN Agent someday. That was one of my early indie superhero teams. And, you know, I really enjoyed getting to talk about this with you guys today. This is good, fun stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah, this is. Yeah. And um, this is something that uh, this kind of topic is something that is sorely missing in the in the comic book podcast sphere right now. Sure. Um, A lot of these older things. If it's older, it's Marvel or DC that's being talked about. It's not any of this stuff that is in between those. Right. Yeah. And I think that stuff's important. I mean, if it, I think some of those comics were things that I didn't necessarily get to read at the time because I was in a small Georgia town and I didn't have access to it, but I discovered them along my pathway. And, and, and some of it I'm discovering now. Uh, and it just absolutely fascinates me. The, the things that came out between the different eras of, you know, Marvel and DC that you and I and Kirk, we've all, we've all been exposed to that, you know, 40 plus years. And it, it's nice to go back and revisit some of the stuff that, uh, especially for me, I might know a little less about. Just think of the, the names of the creators that are involved in all that stuff. And then look at lists of creators that you see doing stuff now right. or, or you see at conventions. I mean, th- there is, even though they might not have the, the biggest, hottest uh, Marvel book or, or, you know, they, they didn't just take over Batman for DC, but they still con after con after con get invites wherever the convention is in the country. Right. These guys that haven't had a book in 15, 20 years, but those of us that go to the conventions primarily, um, that's who we want to see. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the, the newer or the, the younger creators, they're cool and they have their place. And there are those people that want to go see them. But but I think that that us older fans and and our our desire to to get these nostalgia kind of things reprinted or continued or what have you, that's really what is keeping a lot of these older creators that don't have the mainstream books. That's what's keeping them going. Um, you know, people like Ron Randall, uh, let's say, um, people like, uh, I, I don't know. I, nobody's coming to mind, but what is coming to mind actually? Um, some well, of the, Tim Truman, uh, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, how cool would it be to have a dinosaurs for hire Kickstarter? Oh, definitely. That's what stuck in my head when you were yeah, naming. I love that. Oh man, that yeah, that would be awesome. Well, I I want to say um that uh some of those like was it the protectors have mm-hmm. been revisited in novel form. You know, some of these creators may not have comics as a venue anymore, but they're doing other kind of works, whether it's prose novels or what have you. You know, okay. So, so, uh, Clinton, I know you're out there. Hopefully you're listening to the episode. Hit, hit me up on Twitter. I, I know you're the one who pointed out, uh, the, the protectors are now have actually novels. I just oh, can't I, remember, uh, yeah, I didn't who's doing that. it. Yeah. Oh, I dug that, that book when it was out. Yeah. So th- there's really cool stuff being done and it, it just may not be comics or it may not be comics that you're getting at the comic store. I know right. Kirk, one of the, one of the publishers that does like the print on demand that you've sent me um, links to before. I can't think of the name of the publisher. You, do you know what I'm talking about? All right. The uh, 
are you talking about the Gallant comics with the um, the public domain characters? And yep. Stuff? Yep. Yeah. yeah those, I, are, those are excellent books, and they have Stephen Butler, who was a big star in the '90s and did the Silver Sable series. He does the art for them. Right. And how that guy's not, you know, just drawing a monthly book or covers or variant covers or whatever he wants to do, I don't understand because his work is just amazing. But so he, he does uh, John Amon, the Amazing Man, for Gallant Comics, and then there's the Atomic Pulp books that are also available right. on Indie Planet. Those are Bronze Age homages with Rick Burchett and some of these other creators. Okay. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot of non-traditional ways of getting comics other than, you know, there's there's comic book stores, there's Kickstarter, but there's other ways out there, too. You just have to dig around, and you can find some of these creators and some of these characters. Uh, some of them, as we've talked about, are tied up at the moment, not getting used, sadly, but there's some of them out there still kicking around. But anyway, let's start wrapping this up. And, uh, All righty. We'll, we're going to shoot to do the, one of these episodes every couple of months. Um, maybe more often. We'll see, see how much time we can fit in, but, uh, we'll, we'll at least try to hit you up. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for six times a year. We'll go from there. And if we can do more, we'll do more and, uh, we'll try not to do less. That's, that's not that's a, a promise, but that's what I'm shooting yep. for. That's, that's fair. All right. We're bi-monthly. So, yeah, we're, we're shooting for bi-monthly and, uh, and, uh, We'll be talking about it more on uh, Twitter, but uh, we're, we've got a big celebration coming up next year. One of the very important comic companies, uh, Independent Comics, has got a bit of an anniversary coming. So uh, the other show we do is going to kind of celebrate that. So we'll talk about that as as the as January and uh, February approaches. So, Ed, tell us about your podcast and where people can listen to you and where people can reach you. Okay. Um, probably the easiest way to reach me is on Twitter at Teal, T-E-A-L Productions. Um, if, if you tweet me on Twitter, ask me why it's Teal Productions and I'll tell you the story there. <laughs> it's kind of a cool story in my mind, but uh, not that big a deal to most people, I'm sure. Um, probably the... Um, the most regular show that I have coming out right now is Boom Addiction. Uh, I do that with my buddy Chris Parton. We talk about books coming out from the publisher, Boom. Um, we don't talk about all of them. Uh, we probably hit, I don't know, 80, 85 percent of everything that they do put out, though. One I feel shot, like you cover most everything, just about. So, some of the longer-running things we haven't been because right. this this is the third volume of of the show that we've done. And when we started this volume, several books were already well into a run, and, and we just haven't gone all the way back for those. But sure. for the last eight months, uh, 24, six, the last six months, just about everything new that Boom has put out, we have talked about. Um, trades, we'll, we'll even talk about trades as they come out for things that we hadn't talked about, one-shots, um, all the miniseries that have come out, and all the – regular series uh, that have come out that we've since since we've had the show probably once in future uh, something is killing the children and um, the corresponding house of slaughter book uh, those are probably our, our favorites but there's there's others mall eat uh, the rich 
eat the rich, dark blood, uh, just boom, boom. And, and the reason why we do boom is because they have m- multiple imprints and across those imprints over the course of give them eight to 10 months, every kind of comic book they will put out. Um, they, they, I, I like how they spread them out. You know, every month it's not every, every new book is not like a horror book. Every new book is not a, uh, a lighter, more juvenile kind of, uh, and by juvenile, I mean younger person, not pejoratively, um, influenced book, but just every three or four months they put out a really nice one shot about something. Uh, probably the most recent book that we really liked was uh, 80 days. It was a very interesting book about, uh, about flight actually wind by James Tynan. That's another one of our favorites. Uh, that that's probably the, the most regular uh, podcast that I, I have coming out now, but I do want to say, uh, I have been podcasting since 2009, and many of the shows I just have stopped doing. Well, I I went into a COVID coma for a while creatively, and I just didn't want to do anything. And recently, have come out of that. Sure. At the beginning of 2022, I am bringing back three of the shows that I have done in the past. All three shows, I will be releasing one episode a month, except for a brand new show that I'm calling Newsprint Commando. On I like that, that show, title already. <laughs> thank you. On that show, I'm going to be talking about books very similar to the books that we just talked about and will talk about as this show continues. There will not be overlap. I will not talk about the same books, but for instance, the first topic that I will be covering are all of the books that were put out by Capital Comics. Okay. Uh, for those people that aren't familiar with Capital Comics, you will be familiar with a couple of the titles they put out. They put out 16 individual issues for three properties, Nexus, Badger, and a character called Whisper. Um, Capital Comics was only around for about 18 months, uh, and then they went under. Primarily, they were a distributor of comic books way back in the day when there wasn't a monopoly on distribution of comic books in the U.S., which uh, fortunately is is on the way of being broken right now, actually, but a whole other topic. Um, (laughs) And then, honestly, after I get done with those books, I have scheduled, and uh, after talking about these issues – I most definitely will do that. I'm going to talk about the five-issue Justice Machine book that came out from Noble Comics. Nice. My main goal is to talk about companies that are no longer in business, primarily from the early to mid-70s, maybe all the way to the early 90s. Image would be about as far as I would go. And – Comics printed on newsprint, hopefully. That's where the name came from in, in part. So right. uh, that that is probably the project that I'm, I'm most chuffed about at the moment, um, and that will be starting. There will be two episodes of that per month starting in January. Very exciting. So those uh, – if you just watch my Twitter, um, anytime I, uh, an episode uh, of – 
the in the Teal Productions family gets posted, I always post it on my Twitter, Teal Productions. So uh, anything interests you, just go there. You'll be able to grab an RSS feed and plug it into whatever player you want if you don't want to, you know, track down a website or anything like that. Um, however you want to listen to it, let me know if it doesn't work, and I'll try to work it so you can listen to it. So. And those are those are solo voice podcasts too. Uh, oh well, not Boom is Co. Me and Chris, but Newsprint is just going to be me, me by myself, just yammering on, kind of like I'm doing now. So I'm excited about the Capital Comics coverage. I've got questions about them. Oh, there you go. Cool. Uh, yeah, as those come out, and you know, I, I hit on those things. Let me know, and I'll do the best I can to answer them, to find out, to to whatever. It's been. It's been interesting reading those books, uh, particularly Nexus. I, I have never read Nexus, but I have always heard about it for as long as I have been a comic book fan. That is one of the uh, one of the tentpole books, you know, and uh, well, one of the tentpole non-Marvel DC books. Yeah, Nexus is good stuff. And so it, it has been. It's very interesting. Um, the more I talk about it, the more questions that I have. And the more I think about those questions, the more questions I have. So. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I guess that's good. It, it's doing, I guess, what the what the writer Mike Barron wants it to do. So, and Kirk, uh, you're kind of an unofficial uh, official 21st century boy these days. Uh, so uh, you can hear Kirk obviously on our other podcast we do that doesn't really have a name. That's uh, me, Jack, Chris, and Kirk. What else are you up to these days, Kirk? Lately, I've just been keeping plumbers' kids in school, <laughs> uh, making sure they eat well and that their textbooks are covered. Um, you can find me on the Twitter and the Instagram at Big Five Army, and I'm always happy to talk comics with my friends, especially my buddy Joe. Well, if you're listening to this, hopefully you've already discovered the feed. The feed is 21st Century Boys. This was originally started as a way for my son and I to talk about what we are currently reading. So we kind of do a reading journal. We try to get out an episode a month. We also have the episodes we're doing that are kind of special episodes with uh, Chris, Kirk, and Jack. Uh, I've started up a show called Black and White Brunch. That's where I grab either an old indie comic that was from the black and white boom or maybe even from the 90s. And I just basically sit down and read through the comic with you. This last one I did, I literally read the comic. And I think it was only a 10-minute episode, and that tells you how short the comic was. But it was a lot of fun. And then lastly, obviously, we're doing Canceled Comics Cavalcade, which is going to be bi-monthly on the feed as well. And that feed is 21st Century Boys. That's Twitter 21-S-T-C-E-N-B-O-Y-S. You can get me on Twitter at Joe. Uh, if you ever have a question or something you want covered or a topic, just hit up one of us and, you know, we'll definitely uh, consider putting it in the mix because there's a lot of different publishers, universes, comics, and characters that are sadly no longer with us. So we would be happy to take into consideration maybe covering some of those. So thanks for listening to our inaugural episode. Anything else, guys? I don't think so. All right. We would invite comments from creators. If you have some behind-the-scenes stories on what you were doing or what happened yes. to this property, we would love to hear that. Yes. Yeah, most definitely reach out to us at one of our uh, 
one of our uh, Twitter handles, or like I said, you can always hit us at the 21st Century Boys uh, feed. So thanks for listening. Everybody, you have a great night. Goodbye, everybody.